morning, dear listener. Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Three minutes past six. It's Friday. It doesn't matter what date it is. It's Beatles Day. That's all you need to know. The, the days and the numbers are irrelevant. It's Beatles Day. I do apologise for bunking off yesterday. I had the weirdest thing. I've only ever had it happen once before. I was speaking and literally no noise was coming out of my mouth. Nothing at all. It was incredible. Have you ever had that? Not even a squeak. The voice is back, sort of. I can't do the high register, so there'll be no Paul McCartney ooze going on. That's about as high as I can get. But I think if I carry on with my cough sweets and my hot lemon, we should be all right till nine o'clock. And thank you to Justin Dealey, who did a superb job yesterday. I listened to the last hour of a half. I had a lion. How naughty is that on a school day? Anyway, plenty coming up in the next three hours, including... Community relationships have gone backwards, so says the grandfather of murdered Luton teenager Delaney Brown. A high Wickham hardware store just got sexy. Why do we love them so much? And it's 50 years since Dr. No. Today, with your help, we're going to find out who was the best Bond ever. Could you give me a call and let me know? 08459 455 555. I'm going to lay my cards on the table right now. It's Roger Moore. It's Roger Moore. You know it is. Everyone says, oh, no, he was a terrible Bond. No, he wasn't. Live and Let Die is the greatest Bond film of all time. I'll tell you something. Sean Connery was rubbish. You can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or you can give me a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Seriously, I, I've never got Sean Connery. I think he's the dullest Bond. Those, he's not the dullest Bond ever. ever. That's Timothy Dalton. We'll, we'll, we'll put them in order later on. But uh, 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 Connery is second from last. They're just so tedious and slow, his films. Whereas Roger Moore, he's got the charm, he's got the wit, he's got the humour. Fantastic stuff. 08459 455 555. Now, there's been a community meeting in an attempt to keep the peace in Luton following the murder of Luton teenager Delaney Brown. Four men have been bailed in connection with the death of the 19-year-old who was knocked off his bike by a car. There are concerns that the death was prompted by rivalry between different groups concentrated in separate areas of Luton. Well, last night a community meeting took place along the theme of non-violence and keeping the peace. It was organised by the African Caribbean Community Development Forum. Delaney Brown's grandfather, Delaney Brown Sr., spoke at the meeting. In terms of community relationship, we've gone backwards now on with those boys. They absolutely hate the police. They absolutely hate the police. We've got to work together to build that relationship because we need the police. Right? This is, we, we, we live in a society where we can't live without you. If we could, we would. But unfortunately, that don't make no sense. Madam, I have to address you. I appreciate we have youth centres, but we don't need any more youth centres. What we need is community enterprises. We, these boys want money. They want uh, 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 things, projects to go into business that they can buy their trainers, that they can look after the children that they're having very young, to learn how not to have those children very young, 
they need community enterprises as well as the younger ones need youth centres. After the meeting, our reporter Ollie Bayliss spoke to PC Mike Colburn from Bedfordshire Police. Mike Colburn, what's your reaction to tonight's meeting? You can still hear in the background there's been a really bu- real buzz around the place. I think a lot of people have come together with a lot of energy. People who wanted to share their stories about how things can get better. Um, it has unfortunately uh, happened in the... Uh, um, yeah, in the few days following a really tragic event in terms of the death of Delaney Brown, a young 19-year-old boy who really had everything going for him. Um, and we as a community have got to come together and recognise that not all is the way we want it to be. And so what you've heard tonight is people who have been pledging to do something about that, to come together in partnership and find ways forward so that we can actually deal with some of those really big problems that lead to relationships breaking down and problems in communities. What progress is being made in finding those responsible for Delaney Brown's death? Well, there have been four arrests that have taken place and there's an ongoing investigation uh, which is being headed up by our major crime unit. Um, There's been painstaking investigation that's gone into that. There are individuals who are currently on bail. uh, We will be speaking to them further in terms of uh, the issues and the investigation that's going on. But what I would say at this particular point is we really do want to hear from any other members of the community that have got any information that we can actually bring in to better understand what happened on that night, on the 5th of September, and the issues surrounding it. Because without that help, without that community, and without those individuals feeling safe to come to us, they will be supported by us. But without that, we can't give closure to the family. And we've got a family who's still grieving, we've got a community this morning, and we need to find ways of bringing offenders to justice. And it's just really important we do that. And we need, we need help to do that. We're doing the best we can. We've got to make sure we get that information. What steps are being taken to ensure something like this never happens again? Well, I think you've been hearing about a lot of it today. I mean, the first thing is tragic circumstances will sometimes happen. You know, relationships break down, a level of animosity, a level of anger is there, and unfortunately things happen in communities. What we should be doing is trying to minimise the causes that lead people to behave like that and lead uh, to such tragic incidents. And I think that happens with people coming together, better understanding needs. There are real cultural issues here and real respect issues and real organisational, the way in which we do our business and the way in which we make sure that our services really do meet the need. We've got to examine all of that and we've got to do in a mature way we've got to challenge and support each other and it's for the police it's for local leadership and it's for community groups to do that and that's what this is all about and we've got to make it work well we'll have more on this later on and after eight o'clock this morning we're going to have uh, delaney brown senior um talking to us live on the air oh eight four five nine four double five five double five If you hate the Beatles, you're going to find this show quite hard work. But do bear with us. Speak to you after this. It's the Beatles. Love me do. There was no way I was not going to come in today for Beatles Day. I've been so excited about this. Genuinely. We've got someone coming in at the end of the show to play us. Uh, a little bit of the old classical guitar, a little bit of Beatles on the old classical guitar. You can't go wrong with that. That's not bad, is it? Full terms and conditions can be found on the website, bbc.co.uk forward slash three counties. As well as being 50 years since the Beatles' first um, single was released, it's 50 years since the first Bond film, Doctor No. And today, can we settle once and for all that age-old pub argument of who was the best Bond? We're going to put them all in order. Uh, I'll tell you now, it's not Sean Connery. When was the last time you watched a Sean Connery Bond film? 
Oh my goodness, it's so slow, it's tedious. All those hideous back projections when he's driving a car. It's just awful. The gadgets are rubbish. There's no humour. He's... I always found the Connery Bond a little bit... a little bit sleazy, really. Whereas Roger Moore, he's like an English gentleman. He's classy, he's smart, he's intelligent, he's witty. Everything you want from a Bond. Live and Let Die, without a doubt, is the greatest bomb film of all time. It's got Yafat Moto inhaling helium until he turns into a balloon and blows up. It's got voodoo. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. The best Bond and the worst Bond, if you don't mind. You can text it in as well. 81333, starting your text 3CR. Good morning, it's 6.15, it's Friday the 5th of October, a.k.a. Beatles Day. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. There's been a community meeting in an attempt to keep the peace in Luton following the death of teenager Delaney Brown, in which he was knocked off his bike by a car. For the fourth night running, police teams have been searching wooded areas uh, for five-year-old April Jones. In sport, it was a one-all draw for Tottenham in the Europa League against... Panathinaikos, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. They're a foreign football team. Last night. Coming up, cast your mind back to the 5th of October 1962. The Beatles released Love Me Do, and we were first introduced to James Bond. 50 years ago today, Dr. No was released, and it was made in Buckinghamshire. Hear more next. BBC Three Counties Radio. JVS is off this week, but Bill Buckley is filling in for him. Uh, you should follow JVS on Twitter. There's been an, a, an ongoing saga about a stray dog that's turned up at his villa. I should be questioning him thoroughly about it uh, on Monday. I don't think he took my advice. I said, you know, get rid of the dog. I've been asking all week for your tenuous Beatles links, and you've sent them in, and I love you for it. If, you've still got a couple of hours. If you want to send them in this morning, I, I will read out the best ones. If you email... 3CR at bbc.co.uk and mark it Ian Lee Beatles Day your tenuous Beatles link this is a great one from Suzanne in Milton Keynes because we've got some proper Beatles connections coming up later on some wonderful packages that Justin's put together of people who met them and saw them in concert but I really want the tenuous stuff Ian when I was five years old December 1963 I went to a Christmas fair with my mum at Watford Town Hall we bought a raffle ticket, and when we won a prize, my mum let me go up and choose what we wanted. I chose the Please Please Me album that was there. My mum was not very pleased about this, because in my home we were more into classical music, as my father was a principal player in the London Symphony, or- Symphony Orchestra and was not keen on pop music. Anyway, I got the LP, played it all the time, only when Dad was at work. I knew all the words off by heart. I've still got the LP and still get a thrill hearing any track. Suzanne, thank you. Send your tenuous Beatles links to 3CR at bbc.co.uk It's not from that first Beatles album, it's from one of the later ones. This is Across the Universe I think this is on Let It Be, am I right? Well, isn't it a day for British anniversaries? The 50th anniversary uh, since the first Beatles single and also 50 years to the day since the UK release of the very first James Bond film Dr. No. Made in Buckinghamshire at Pinewood Studios, of course. That's why we sent our Bond correspondent, and we do have a Bond correspondent. He doesn't get much work, but he's been waiting in the wings. Brendan Murphy put on his tux and went to Bucks. Oh, that's good. He met Gareth Owen, a Pinewood Studio historian, to find out more. I think virtually all the Bond films bar three were shot here at Pinewood, so that's about 19 films. And in 1961, Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman, who were the original two producers of the movies, came to England to make Bond. And they came here with Dr. No. They had a $1 million budget, which 
remember this was 1961, that was a, quite a lot of money. And they made this what was considered a small British thriller with an unknown actor called Sean Connery. But it was so different because, of course, you have to remember... 1961-62, nobody really travelled. There was no cheap package holiday. There was no low-cost airline. So Jamaica, with this wonderful white beach and Ursula Andrews coming out in a bikini. My, a bikini? My God, women were usually dressed with a sort of neck-high collar. Um, and now we have this wonderful, sexy woman 50 years on and they've just made Skyfall here. So it's a long association. I mean, if I was to ask you to pick out one moment of, of Bond's history that sticks out in, in your mind, what would that be? I think it would have to be one of the first Bond films I saw, which was The Spy Who Loved Me with Roger. I mean, Roger was my Bond. I grew up with him. But the the stunt at the beginning of the movie, the ski jump off the edge of Mount Asgard, and the whole cinema descended into silence. You know, Bond is just, you know, he's dying. He, he's flown off this, this, this great big mountain. How can he survive? And then, of course, the Union Jack parachute opens, the Bond theme kicks up. And you know you're in for a great ride. So the Skyfall movie comes out um, later in October. How much of the, the, this movie was shot in Pinewood then? Uh, a lot of it, actually, because they, they only went on one main location in Turkey. The rest of the movie was pretty much shot at Pinewood and in and around London. You'll, you'll see there's lots of London featured in this movie. It's a very patriotic movie. It's 2012, you know, London 2012, the Olympics, the Queen's Jubilee. Nobody does it Bond has never really stayed in London very much. You've always seen him visit headquarters, drive in, you know, new Aston Martin out, and then off he goes to a foreign location. So they've decided to use London. Uh, I know on the 007 stage they recreated a London underground scene where the train comes off the rails and crashes, so that's quite a big stunt. We're standing here about 200 yards away. We can see the... The, the kind of 007 symbol with the with the gun on the end of the 7. And you can see this from the motorway. If you're on the M25 or the M40, you can actually see this great big structure, and at night it's all lit up. It's so huge. What's happening with uh, for the 50th anniversary of the first Bond movie? Are, are you having any kind of celebrations? Um, yes, on October the 21st, there's a Bond at 50 party. A lot of the Bond people will be coming in, including Roger Moore, for that. Uh, Christie's are having a special auction on the 5th of October, which is Global Bond Day and donating the proceeds to charity, and that includes a couple of cars used in the Bond movies. Fantastic. You've got to love a bit of Bond. It's Roger Moore all the way, and you get the Bond purists. Thank you for that, Brendan, uh, our reporter there, our Bond reporter. You get these purists who say, oh, no, Sean Connery is closer to the, uh, the Bond portrayed in the Ian Fleming novels. Yeah, that may be the case, but he's also really boring. He's so boring. He's almost as dull as Timothy Dalton. Isabella has texted in. She agrees with me. Ian, the best Bond, I think, was Roger Moore. I don't like Daniel Craig. Really? See, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll do my Bonds in order. Number one, Moore. Number two, Craig. Number three, um, who was the Australian fella that did it? What was his name? Um, anyway, the Australian fella. But not Pierce Brosnan. He wasn't Australian. The guy that was only did one bot Lazenby. That's it. Lazenby. Piers Brosnan. It's my production team. Oh, they were my production team until 20 seconds ago. Uh, Brosnan comes in uh, after Lazenby. Then you've got Connery. And then you've got Dalton right at the end. Oh, here's, here's, a, here's a question for you. Here's a, tri- a question for you trivia fans. Who was... And this is a little bit fudged because it, it depends which internet resource you look. Who was the first person to play James Bond? 
Yes. It's, it's one of two people. There's no prize. Don't phone in. It's not proper competition with the BBC, for goodness sakes. We don't do that. But you'll be surprised to hear who was either the first or second Bond. That's, I'm, I'm fudging it slightly because I've mentioned this before and someone came out. So, well, actually, three days before that, I believe you'll find. Uh, so give me a call. Let me know who you think is the best Bond. 08459-455-555. We're also looking for your tenuous Beatles links. And uh, Mary Queeley has tweeted me. My mum won ten bob in coffee in a coffee company's door-to-door name all four Beatles competition in the 60s. She struggled with George. Haven't we all struggled with George? I've got to say, you lot are on fire this morning. You're really good. I've got a tweet from Samira. Do you want my story about Ringo Starr making me late for school? <laughs> yes, of course I do. Hopefully we'll get it after the news with Serena Farrow. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Half an hour in and the voice is holding up okay, I think. I've got a touch of the Sophie Tyler's about me, but I think it's holding up okay. Coming up in the next half an hour, we find out which hardware store in beds, hearts and bucks is 120 years old. I love hardware stores. Even if I go in there just to buy a couple of screws, they're the best places in the world. And also, Justin Dealey has been hanging out at the place where George Harrison spent a lot of the 70s. Well, today, as you've heard, is Beatles Day across the BBC, and I do want to hear your fab four memories, particularly your tenuous Beatles links. You can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. BBC Introducing has also got involved with Beatles Day, and they've been asking all the unsigned bands from across the three counties to record their interpretation of a Beatles song. And if you keep an eye out, uh, on Look East News tonight, 6.30. One of the local bands has been filmed uh, recording their Beatles cover, so that should be good. Anyway, today we're going to play I'm Only Sleeping, which was released by the Beatles in 1966, but this is a cover version by Sly Dog, who are from Hertfordshire. It has made me curious, though, to dig out my copy of Revolver and play it back-to-back for the rest of the day, and I think I shall be doing that. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call about any of the things we're talking about. Now, here's an interesting one. As you walk down the high street in your town or village, is there a hardware store? Well, one of the shops in High Wycombe is 120 years old today. Everybody's having birthdays. Supplying the people of High Wycombe with hardware and tools since 1892. Isaac Lord, I believe, they are the second oldest business in town. Well, BBC Three Counties reporter Sophie Solaria went down there to have a little rummage. Andrew, how has uh, the shop changed since you started here 11 years ago? Um, we, we still keep up the traditional um, of a single nut and bolt, a single screw, um, things like that. But we do tend to uh, go towards... a. Uh, uh, pre-packed, which is easy. Somebody can come and pick up a packet off the off the shelf, and you know, walk out the shop without having to, uh, you know, mess about waiting for for, for a so customer. So you still sell things to, in a single form. In a single form, yes, we do. Yeah. But you weren't always at this premises. No, we actually had a premises across the road, which we can see from out of our window. Um, there is now a funeral parlour there. The road was widened in 1972-73, and this, this actual store was built for us. So, Andrew, it's obviously still very well run. It's one of those shops where you can still, as we have here, still buy a brush head or a tin of paint or a tin of varnish, but what do your customers say about it? They love coming here because they can, we can interact with them. A lady can come here, she doesn't know anything about painting, she doesn't know about anything electrical. So there are staff that will spend time and show people, they will actually do things for people like 
you'd, you'd come in and we'd wire a plug for you, show you how it's done, and we'll show you how to paint, explain things and everything to you. Good customer service, hey? Yeah, absolutely. We have many customers that have come with their fathers, grandfathers since they were five years old. They are now 60 and they are still coming back to Isaac Lords because they enjoy the interaction between us and we give them good customer service. Andrew, can you show me around? Yes, yeah, certainly. This is just a small percentage, as you can see, come into the store. Um, you have traditional um, French polishes, um, oils and dyes for the furniture. We, for the housewife or house husband... <laughs> We do cleaning products and everything, paints, uh, light bulbs. I apologise for the gross sexism in that report. I'm a bloke. I can't wire a plug. It's not just ladies. I, I could do it a real push, but I wouldn't trust myself. I'd ask someone else to plug it in. Uh, well, Paul Mills is from Isaac Law. Good morning, Paul. Morning, Ian. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing very well. 120 years old today. Fantastic news. Why do you think your shop has survived so long? Oh, I think it's um, down to a number of things, really. People like Andrew you just spoke to, there, yep. there are staff that they're, they're experts in what they, what they sell. So they, they know all about it. They can talk intelligently about it when, when someone comes in. Um, as you may uh, listen to Andrew, he's he, you know, passionate about what he does as well. Um, there's, there's a huge range of products. I think we sell some 30,000 different products. Wow. Um, so it's a wide range. So we have lots of different people who are sort of experts in their own field, um, people who are experts in tools, ex-builders, ex-sort of kitchen fitters, and um, yeah, you, you've got to have people who are interested in what they're selling. Really, Paul, I've not been into this shop. I have to confess, and I'm, I'm in my in my head. I've got a mental image of one of those tiny little shops where everything is crammed in, and wherever you look, there's something completely different. Is it like that? It, it's not. It, it was at one time, um, but um, I think in, in the eighties it was sort of uh, revamped, and, yep. um, and a new sort of open plan. Um, idea came in and um, and it's expanded and expanded um i think that's part of um being able to survive for 120 years you've got to you, you do have to move on and and expand and but you've still got to look after those customers who've, who've been coming in as andrew said you know, uh, three generations of customers come in and you've got to make sure that you still look after them that time do you wear those brown jackets we did we did we don't anymore oh man you've got to <laughs> they're, they're so cool paul you've got to bring them back <laughs> we have smart brown uh, black uh, sort of polo shirts but yes um, they were worn for for uh, for a long time why are they i never quite understood why they're unique to hardware stores those those kind of long overall coats i don't know actually I don't know. Do you, do you, I've got to ask the question, do you sell four candles? <laughs> we do, and we do get asked for them regularly. Of course you do. I, I bet every joker that comes <laughs> in uh, and does it. What have you got planned, Paul? Are you doing something special for the day? Yeah, we've got an open day today. We've invited loads of our top suppliers along um, to do demonstrations. So um, we, we sell a lot of tools, a lot of hardware. Um, we also sell kitchen and cabinet fittings. That's something else we've expanded into. We've got all these suppliers coming along for the day um, to demonstrate all their products. Um, they're experts in what, what they do as well. They've all supplied us for a long time as well. Would you not, Paul? I always get worried when I go into these places. I'm, I'm so not a blokey bloke when it comes to DIY and I go in for the oddest things. But if I came in and bought one screw, would you not be tutting as I walked out at the, 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 the low amount of money I'd spent? I, I know what you mean. Not at all, because we know that you'll be coming back another time to buy something else. So giving you that service that one time means that you know, you're, you're, you're more likely to come back in. Any, anybody can go and buy anything they, they want off the internet as you know, cheap as, uh, as someone's prepared to sell it somewhere else. But 
So you've got to sell good products. You've got to sell them at a fair price as well. And and you've got you've got to be able. Um, you can't just you know sell things really expensive. It's got to be a fair price. Paul, it sounds like back again. what you're offering in this shop as well is is the personal touch that's missing from so many places, and that's what I think has has stood you in good stead. Paul, thank you so much. That's Paul Mills from Isaac Lord. 120 years old today. I love hardware stores. I'm so not and not these big. You know, you go into these big kind of enormous domes where it's aisle 57. These little stores like this are fantastic and i don't know anything about diy i couldn't even put up a picture i can't do it but i love going to these stores fantastic news excellent stuff later on in the program we'll be hearing from a retail expert to find out why some shops stand the test of time a little bit better uh, than others Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. david oh david luton he's not having a good day Never been interested in Bond films or the Beatles. They're all boring. Well, Dave, I can only apologise and suggest you, you, you join us maybe tomorrow. <laughs> maybe go and have a lie down and read a good book for the rest of today because it is Beatles Day uh, here on BBC Three Counties Radio. We've got Graham in Little Wymondley. Good morning, Graham. Good morning, it's Wymondley. Wymondley, I do apologise. I saw it coming up. This is the, thir- that's the third word this morning I've been a- unable to pronounce and I apologise. Well, you've not been well, so it's understandable. Exactly, I'm very high on cough medicine, Graham. What can I do for you, sir? Right. The first person to play James Bond was on radio in South Africa. Here we go. He's good, yes. It was um, Bob Holmes. Yes. And then uh, Barry Nelson played him on television in Casino Royale in the late 1950s in America. Uh, now, listen, cause I always I always went for the Bob Holness, of course, the host of um, Blockbusters. Mm. But I have I have had the Barry Nelson. Some people say Barry Nelson was maybe a little bit before this. There's some... No, th- Barry Nelson was after. Fantastic. Imagine that, Bob Holness playing Bond. Now, that would be good, wouldn't it? It would. Um, um, when you were saying about that shop yeah. just now um, and its things, back in the early 70s, I went to work in a garage, yeah. which had been there since the 1920s. And the chap who started it was still running it. Uh, his name was George Twyman. It was in Boss Bar. Yeah. And uh, we were sorting out the stores. Because, uh, they were sort of trying to uh, clear some stuff out. And we found something. We asked, we asked Mr. Twyman what it was, because none of us had any idea. Yeah. And he said, well, it's a kingpin for a Model T Ford, of course. Wow. <laughs> and it was just lying around. Yeah. I love the fact you still call him, you still call him by Mr. You got that respect. Very quickly, uh, uh, Graham, the best Bond. Um, well, that's a toss-up. Um... I, I think Roger Moore on the There we go. Thank you very much, Graham. Someone agreeing with me. Moore, of course, is the best Bond, isn't he? It's the charm and the wit. Hey, the best travel reporter, Sophie Tyler. 6.45, Friday the 5th of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. There's been a community meeting to try and keep the peace in Luton following the death of local teenager Delaney Brown. Police officers have spent a fourth night searching for April Jones, the five-year-old girl who's missing in mid-Wales. In sport, it was a one-all draw for Tottenham in the Europa League against Panathinaikos. Thank you. Last night. The weather across beds, hearts and bucks... Bit a bit better prepared there. The weather across beds, hearts and bucks. Rain soon drying out with brighter skies developing. Maximum temperature is 15 degrees. And coming up, more Beatles. Here where George Harrison spent a lot of his time when he came to Hertfordshire. BBC Three Counties Radio. Come on, Ringo, give it to us. Here we go. Oh, come on, man. You've got to love it. You've got, I love the Ringo songs. Ringo is my favourite Beatle. 
totally my favourite people. If you watch Help or A Hard Day's Night, Ringo is just hilarious in those films. Listen, you've been so good. I asked earlier this week for your tenuous Beatles links, thinking we'd get maybe a couple. Four. We've got, we got loads. You can still send them in. 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Linda in Wolverton is on the line. Good morning, Linda. Good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning. There's another Beatles reference. What's your tenuous Beatles link, Linda? When I was at school in the 60s, yeah. my French teacher was named Rod Davis, yep. who was an original member of the Quarrymen who played with John Lennon. Oh, come on! So let's just go through that again. Your French teacher. Yes. Rob, what's his name? Rob Davis. Rod Davis. Rod yes. Davis. He played in the Quarrymen. And did he, was McCartney in the Quarrymen at the time he played? Um, towards the end of Rod's involvement with the group, because Rod... Mr. Davis, we have to call him Mr. Davis. Mr. Davis, of course, yes. <laughs> um, he wasn't really into rock and roll. He was a skiffle man. Right, okay. He didn't think they were <clears throat> going to make anything. Was, Linda, was there ever, like, quiet moments in your French lessons when you'd, you'd look up and you'd see Mr. Davis in the corner, just biting his knuckle, muttering to himself, Why did I leave? Why did I leave? Was he bitter at all? He used to throw the blackboard, you know, the blackboard cleaner finger. <laughs> yeah. And is that a direct result of uh, leaving the quarrymen and not being in the Beatles, do you think? No, I think it was a hangover from being in the cavern the night before, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Linda, thank you very much. What a great, tenuous connection. Her French teacher was in the quarrymen. The, the band that sort of evolved into the Beatles. It's Pete Best all over again, isn't it? Dearie me, you'd be furious, wouldn't you? You'd be furious. Well, we are celebrating everything to do with the Beatles today. And 50 years ago today, on October the 5th, 1962, the Fab Four released their first single, Love Me Do. Well, Bhaktiv Danta Manor in Watford is the UK headquarters of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, which was bought and donated by George Harrison in 1973. Justin Dealey has been to meet the man who made it all happen. Oh, no, he didn't. Here he is. Oh, no, hang on a second. I haven't got the audio on my little computer there. So we shall wait for a second while we find that. And I shall read out a couple of little texts here. Um, Oh, we've got a text on James Bond, which is uh, very exciting. Best Bonds. Craig, Brosnan and Moore. I think David Niven played a Bond. Yes, he did. In the the spoof film uh, of Casino Royale, I think there were five Bonds in it, including... Let me get this, see if I can remember all of them. There was uh, uh, David Niven, there was Peter Sellers... Bizarrely, there was uh, Woody Allen as well, I think, playing Bond. Uh, who were the others? I can't think. Anyway, let's go back to Justin Dealey. Sorry, Justin, who uh, went and spent a day at the, uh, the Krishna Centre that uh, George Harrison bought and donated for the Krishnas. <laughs> Hello, JRDS. Thank you so much for the invitation today. When did you first meet George Harrison? It was in August of 1969. We just recorded the single, the Hare Krishna Mantra, and the name of our group was the Radha Krishna Temple, and George was the one who produced the single. So he wanted it launched through the Apple label, and so that was the day that he actually personally came to help promote that single. He was really, you know, straightforward and really happy, actually, to be promoting this single. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare. 
So you were the man who went to George Harrison and you explained that the temple you had in central London was just too small. You had to move on. He agreed to get involved with this project and you eventually decided on this fabulous building here in Hertfordshire, which George paid £220,000 for. What's your memories of that opening day in 1973? It must have been a wonderful occasion. Well, my memories, of course, the first thing is that uh, our spiritual teacher, he, he flew by helicopter from Heathrow Airport. It's the first time he'd ever flown in a helicopter. He didn't like that experience, but just seeing this helicopter descend onto the front lawn just out there and uh, see him come out, walk into the place, it was, it was momentous. The actual opening was done a few months later. That was uh, maybe 500 devotees came from different countries to attend the opening. And uh, it was a very joyous occasion, a very, very special occasion. And very shortly after that, George personally came over. And he was also very happy with the way things had gone and how uh, we'd uh, acquired the place at the proper price. And he was also very impressed with the number of devotees that uh, had gathered for the, for the grand opening. And it was a huge feast, and we invited all the villagers to come. And uh, it was uh, something that I will always remember. George was clearly a very kind and a very generous man, and almost 40 years on, his legacy lives on here because you get around 5,000 people at weekends alone. And, of course, on Krishna's birthday, which we call Janmastami, we got up to 60,000 visitors over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it would never have happened like that if George hadn't helped us. And uh, it really is something that uh, we always have to be reminded of, the fact of his, his generosity, the fact that he was really dedicated and respected uh, Srila Prabhupada like anything. Uh, I saw him many times come to Prabhupada's rooms that are upstairs, and he would, uh, out of respect, bow down, Never come empty-handed. He always had a big basket of fruit or a big uh, bouquet of flowers. And he really embraced bhakti yoga because that's the yoga that uh, our teacher was instructing us, the yoga of devotion. Yeah, no, he had a huge part to play in expanding the knowledge of Krishna consciousness, especially through the, 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 the media of music because the Hare Krishna mantra in 1969 got to number nine in the British charts. And we, we performed on top of the pops. And uh, it's, it's on record that when he was interviewed in the 1980s, uh, this particular interviewer asked him, said, of all the different songs that you've been writing over so many years, which recording gives you the greatest pleasure? He said, of all of the songs, the Hare Krishna mantra mm-hmm. is something which will always resonate within my heart because I did some service for Krishna. So that was his attitude. His attitude was he, he felt he was uh, serving Krishna. It is a fabulous story, and it's great that it's local as well. Here in Watford, <laughs> in Hertfordshire, it's just absolutely terrific. Every time I come here, I'm amazed because it is just an incredible place. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, that's a pleasure. Very nice meeting you, Justin. Very good. Show. If I fell, the Beatles from a hard day's night. There's a cracking documentary on tomorrow night about Magical Mystery Tour. Very excited about that. Good morning, dear listener. Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I've just had a very strong cough suite. Hi, Chihuahua. Uh, Coming up in the next hour of the show, plenty of stuff. And as always, keen to get your input. I'll give you the contact details in a few minutes. First off, grandfather of murdered Luton teenager Delaney Brown says community relationships have gone backwards. Find out more in a bit. 
four runways at Luton Airport. Yeah, four. That's what a leading think tank wants, should the airport be expanded. And why a Dunstable business owners getting really fed up with the roadworks. You can get in touch via email, 3CR at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or, and this is the best way to do it, I think, you can give me a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. There's been a community meeting in an attempt to keep the peace in Luton following the murder of Luton teenager Delaney Brown. Four men have been bailed in connection with the death of the 19-year-old who was knocked off his bike by a car. There are concerns that the murder was prompted by rivalry between different groups concentrated in separate areas of Luton. Last night, a community meeting took place along the theme of non-violence and keeping the peace. Delaney Brown's grandfather, Delaney Brown Sr., spoke at the meeting. In terms of community relationship, we've gone backwards now on with those boys. They absolutely hate the police. They absolutely hate the police. We've got to work together to build that relationship because we need the police, right? This is, we, we, we live in a society where we can't live without. If we could, we would. But unfortunately, that don't make no sense. Madam, I have to address you. I appreciate we have youth centres, but we don't need any more youth centres. What we need is community enterprises. We, these boys want money. They want... Uh, 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 things, projects to go into business that they can buy their trainers, that they can look after the children and they're having very young to learn how not to have those children very young. They need community enterprises as well as the younger ones need youth centres. Well, Councillor Hazel Simmons told the meeting Luton did have its problems. We all know Luton has challenges that we must all deal with and the best way to do this, I believe, is together. As a council, cohesion is an underlying principle in all that we do. And whilst I am the first to admit that we may not always get everything right, certainly in the first time sometimes, I can assure you that we are absolutely committed to working with all our communities to tackle issues together. To do this, there needs to be an open and honest dialogue about the things that concern you. It's the only way to find a way forward and to build trust and respect between us. Well, Deanne Johnson is from the group The Non-Violence Alliance and Kelvin Hopkins Hopkins is the Labour MP for Luton North. Good morning to both of you. Morning. Morning. Deanne, I'll start with you first. What happened at the meeting last night? Can I just say that it was the fourth meeting? It's been portrayed that it was the first one, but it was actually the fourth. Okay, yes, of course you can point that out. (laughs) It was really well attended. And what happened, Deanne? What happened was people listened to the panel. There was Lorna Markland, the police, the Labour councillor, and Sandra Glenn. They gave their um, opinions. And I think they came out of the meeting thinking that we haven't got all the answers, but together we can find the answers. We need to be in partnership with everybody it is a community we have to get partners involved and move forward what do you think needs to be done to reduce tension in the community what needs to be done things are being done at the moment things are being done at the moment we are meeting different community centers different communities 
we do need to engage with those young people. At the moment, there's a lot of older members of the community that are coming to these meetings and talking on behalf of those young people. But I think those young people need to come forward and tell us what they want. Were, were there any young people there last night? There were a few. Because I would imagine, listen, it's, it's a long time since I've been young, but it, the, 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 I would imagine that uh, a lot of the young people, they're not going to want to go to a boring old meeting. They're not going to want to go to, like, a community group and discuss things, are they? That's, and that's, I would imagine, is the problem, isn't it? It's convincing them that actually it will be beneficial for them to go to these things. We have a lot of work to do. And how are you going to do that, Deanne? Have you got any ideas how to, to, to get the... Because the problem, I guess, is primarily with the younger people. How are you going to convince them to get involved? Well, we did say to the um, council that there did need to be places for them to go to. There needed to be money for resources for them to do things. Perhaps if that happened, they can start talking. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I remember that argument being put forward... 25 years ago you know and it, it, mm -hmm. it would when there were problems sort of in the, the late 70s and the early 80s and yes. it would appear that we haven't really moved on from that in some regards no, no that's right kelvin hopkins labour mp for luton north you weren't at the meeting uh, last night but dealing with tension in the town is something that you must be very concerned about well obviously yes i, I did attend a meeting before i went to our conference yep. about 10 days ago uh, and met community members there including the father of the young man who's died so, so I, I've been in, and I've been in touch with um, some of the uh, community members since then as well. So a couple came to my advice surgery last week. So, uh, but but I wasn't at the meeting last night. Um, but a, a lot does obviously need to be done. My concern and my, I, I really do believe this is that what we need is employment. There was a time 40 years ago when Vauxhall General Motors mm. here used to used to canvas door to door for workers and young men, particularly young men who left school on a Friday would start at Vauxhall or Electrolux or SKF on the, on the, on the Monday. Uh, and there were thousands, tens of thousands of manufacturing jobs. Uh, people would work their whole lives in these companies, have a good life, good wages uh, and le lead a proper life. Now, there are, there are, we have a very, very high level of unemployment nationally and significant unemployment locally. And it's young men uh, who, who often got kicking their heels in the streets with nothing much to do. Um, and there was a but that, that can't be an excuse, Kelvin, and Kelvin, can it, for, for violence and y having babies really young and murder? That can't, you can't use unemployment as an excuse, can you? Well, I, I, I don't, this is an excuse, but the fact is, then, it was a statistic published in The Guardian a year or so back showing that street crime took off when manufacturing jobs disappeared at the, at the beginning of the 1980s. Um, and, uh, you, know, it was a, it, you know, until that time it was low, and then it just took off as soon as the jobs disappeared. So I think there is a, a co connection, uh, a cause and effect, if you like, not just a correlation. So I think that is a factor. When people have got nothing uh, to do and not get money in their pockets from a job, I mean, a job absorbs your energies, it makes you feel good about yourself, you come home with a wage, you can live a life, a proper life. That's what we want. And until I think we get jobs back and start creating a world where people naturally have employment, I think that this sort of thing is going to carry on. But as you say, no, there's no excuse for, for misbehaviour. And, of course, there is a... We're talking about minorities, of course, a you know, minority of, of people who do this. But on the other hand, they are all people who haven't got proper jobs. Kelvin, we, we've heard on this, this station uh, over the past few months of a tangible tension uh, in Luton. How are you going to help ease that and, and put people's minds at rest? Well, as I say, even if people at work, there's, t there's tension with that. And I am told by, I met, uh, as I say, you know, some of the committee members, and they do say there are tensions between young people and the police. 
Um, but if people aren't on the streets, they're actually at work, or they've got enough money to live a proper life, then those tensions, I think, would disappear. But I think we do need to work at that uh, and uh, get both sides together to talk about what, what it is that causes those tensions. Delaney Brown Sr. Uh, said, uh, and I'm not quoting him, I'm paraphrasing slightly, uh, that young people hate the police. How can you change that? Well, again, I've, I've heard similar things, and of course it may be, you know, we, we've got to look at both sides. You know, it's not just a, a question of young people allegedly hating the police, but, um, you know, what it is that causes that, 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 that uh, dislike. Um, and I think we've got to look at both sides, and uh, I, I don't want to prejudice any, dis any, any discussion at this stage, but I do think that both sides have got to talk to each other, and I, certainly I should be talking to the police um, in fact, I'm having a meeting uh, today with, with uh, a senior police officer from Luton to talk about the matter. Diane, what do you think people like the police and the council can do to help? Well, um, they, Sorry, they sorry Calvin, just Diane. Sorry. Well, it, they, yeah, yeah, sorry. They, do need, they do need to talk with the community, and they have pledged that support. So it's about getting round the table with all the groups involved and taking it forward together. I'm hearing a lot of positive stuff, and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, obviously we want this to move forward. Mm -hmm. I just, I just really don't understand how you're going to get a 17-year-old kid who hates mm -hmm. the police, uh, is, mm -hmm. is, feels disenfranchised, uh, to, to get involved. Why is he going to want to listen to a bunch of old people? And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put that from their point of view, who mm -hmm. he would perceive as being completely out of touch with the reality. Well, I mean, you know, obviously we've got to start somewhere, and I think having yes. trying, to, trying to get some discussions going, but I do think there are fundamental problems that I've touched on, you know, that, that uh, young people who feel shut out um, of society, people who, young people haven't got jobs um, and don't seem to see much of a prospect of getting a proper job, um, even people who are quite well qualified now are, are sending off hundreds of applications for jobs and not getting anywhere. So, you know, we, we've got, I think, to, to develop a world where people naturally have work. Now, that's going back to the era of full employment which, in which I grew up. Kelvin, uh, quickly, how are you going to do that? That's just not well, feasible well, at the moment. Well, it is, I mean, it is feasible. We've got to ch fundamentally change government policies. I mean, I've argued and argued this in the House of Commons. You know, we, we, it's, our problem at the moment is unemployment. OK, Kelvin Hopkins, Labour MP for Luton North, and Deanne Johnson from the group The Non-Violence Alliance. Thank you very much. It does concern me, though, that I, I vaguely remember being young. And, you know, did you know what? I kind of grew up in a, a pretty safe middle-class uh, atmosphere. But even in that atmosphere... Being 16, 17, 18, you kind of think, well, what, what does someone in their 40s, 50s wears a suit? What, what do they know about me? And it does worry me. And listen, these are great initiatives, and I, I wish them the very best of luck. And of course, we don't want any more uh, deaths or any more violence or anything like that in Luton or the three counties. But how do you get the young people to, to be involved? Thank you very much, Deanne and Kelvin. Uh, on a slightly different note, we are talking uh, uh, Beatles. It's Beatles Day. I've asked for your tenuous Beatles links, and you've got, you've come up with some gold, and this is a great one. And you can hear from June's texts the anger that's still there. My, no, follow this very carefully. My older sister was friends with a friend of Jane Asher. She was once the fiancée of Paul McCartney. She broke off the engagement when he two-timed her with that woman. She means Linda McCartney. That's who she means. Thank you, June. Excellent. 7.16, Friday the 5th of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. It's hoped tensions will die down in Luton after what police say has been a successful peace meeting following the death of local teenager Delaney Brown. 
For the fourth night running, teams have been searching wooded areas in Mid Wales for five-year-old April Jones. In sport, Hertfordshire's Lewis Hamilton came second in first practice of the Japanese Grand Prix. And coming up, what would you do if you and your children became homeless? After a relationship breakdown, that's exactly what's happening to one Milton Keynes mum. She joins me in the next 15 minutes. And I'm after your tenuous Beatles links. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Beatles Day. All across the BBC. And have a listen to this. Yeah. I'll have that. Full terms and conditions can be found on our website, bbc.co.uk, three counties. I shall share my tenuous Beatles link uh, with you. Many, many years ago, my dad used to work at the BBC. And for some reason, I can never quite work this out, uh, he had to... Uh, Ringo Starr was at an event in the early 80s, and he was told by his director, he said, right, get Ringo Starr to come on camera and do an interview. Tell him we can give him 400 quid. Right, now this is about 1982, so 400 quid, not a bad bit of money. So my dad went up to Ringo and said, Ringo, any, any chance um, we could have uh, an interview with you? He said, no, 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 I don't fancy it. He said, we've got 400 quid for you. Ringo Starr said to my dad, and I shall censor this, go away, I spend more, more than that on fags in a week. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr Ringo Starr told my dad to go away using coarse language. <laughs> uh, one of your Beatles links. Who is uh, this from? Oh, it's anonymous, but we'll read it out. My wife, Margaret, who was living in Mansfield at the time, travelled down to London in 1964 uh, with a friend to stay in Hendon for a few days, and during that time went to see the Beatles at the Royal Albert Hall. The next day they went up to Abbey Road to visit the studios. They crossed the road at the Zebra Crossing, which became famous in later years. Her mum and dad were completely against the idea of her coming down to London and it took the intervention of her friend's parents to enable her to do so. Fantastic. I had quite a nice weekend plan. I said quite a nice weekend. This is going to sound cruel but my in-laws are taking care of the two and a half year old this weekend. It's like oh fantastic I get to spend some time with my wife but I'm feeling lousy so I know the weekend is going to be me in bed pretty much on my own. There'll be none of that. Thank you very much. Now a business owner in Dunstable is getting really fed up with roadworks in the town. And BBC Three Counties reporter Gareth Lloyd is on his way to meet him. Gareth, whereabouts are you? Good morning, Ian. Yes, we're on the way to Dunstable this morning. We were there a few weeks ago. You might remember I promised you that uh, pickled egg that I uh, uh, never was able to bring yeah, back. I, got, to... I was genuinely annoyed. You were in a chip shop and I asked for a pickled egg. You said, I'll do it. And I, you came back an hour later. You went, there was an accident. The BBC vehicles are not equipped to carry <laughs> pickled eggs on the way back to the radio station. But yes, I was there a few weeks ago because there's roadworks going on there. It's, uh, it's all part of the new uh, Dunstable to Luton busway. Uh, it's around the Asda. It's nothing to do with Asda, but it's around the Asda area in Dunstable. Uh, there is a small uh, row of shops there, and shopkeepers along that uh, row are saying uh, that trade is down nearly 40% because wow. of the roadworks, because where you would park in the supermarket car park, you can't then get, ac- get across the road uh, to, to these smaller shops, one of which is the chip shop where we're going to this morning. We were there a few weeks ago. Uh, we've been told that things haven't got any better. In fact, they may have got worse. Uh, if you are uh, a, a resident of Dunstable, if you go shopping in that area, if you use any of those uh, smaller shops along the little uh, row of shops that faces the bigger supermarket. I want to hear from you this morning. I'll be there after 7.30. Is it as bad as people are making out? Is it hard to get around that area? Are the roadworks really causing that much of a problem? Gareth, thank you very much. Will I get a pickled egg today? I'll try my hardest to bring it back. (laughs) I I don't believe him. If you see Gareth uh, wandering around, he's a, a tall, good-looking gentleman. He'll be holding a microphone. Go and grab him and, and say hello and uh, tell him your experience uh, around that area. 
Now, you may know someone who's been made homeless in the past and how difficult it was for them to find accommodation. They may have turned to the charity Shelter for help. Well, now advice services in Milton Keynes and Hertfordshire are under threat from closure. They say it's because of government cuts to legal aid funding. Jane is from Milton Keynes and she joins me on the line now. Good morning, Jane. Good morning, now, how not, are you? Not your real name, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. The beginning of the week, Jane, you started tweeting about your situation. Tell us a little bit of the background and what's been happening to you. I did. On Monday morning, I set up a Twitter account um, because a couple of days before that, I'd been notified by my partner um, that I was going to have to move out of the property that we're in currently with my two children. The problem that I had... The property that we're in is in his name only. It's a private tenant um, leasehold. Um, so I'm in between employment. I didn't know what to do. Mm. If anyone out there is listening, I mean, it was a horrendous situation. So I set up a Twitter account Monday morning as I was approaching the Milton Keynes office for housing. Anyway, um, obviously I'm not here to talk about that. I'd like to sort of focus on the help that I was given. Yeah, please. By shelter. Um, I actually went to see them. I made an appointment. I went in there on Monday, made an appointment. This was Shelter in Milton Keynes, wasn't it? Yes, it yeah. is, yes. And um, all I can say on their behalf, for me personally, they gave an invaluable service. Um, they gave me all my rights on the cohabitating law, uh, my housing rights, financial assistance, as in where I could go to get any help, etc., etc. And I think it's a fatal flaw... If the government are not funding them, how does it work when you go into shelter, Jane? Do you, do, you, do you just walk in and say, "I'm going to be homeless in a month. Can you help?" Yeah, it was it was more or less like that yeah. actually. Um, I got there late afternoon, so because um, I sat in the council for a very long time, that's another story. Um, so they made an appointment for the first appointment that I could get on a Tuesday. But it is literally go in, fill a form out, just give you personal details. And then you go in and you get, you get a very lengthy, as long as it takes, basically. As long as it takes. I mean, if my case would have taken, you know, two or three hours, they would have sat there with me. So there's no one looking at the watch going, I'm, I'm very sorry, no. Jane, but we've got someone coming in in 20 minutes. Can you no. hurry up? And I might, let me just say this, actually. The other thing that I noticed with them, their approach is totally different to the council. Yeah. In what way? The, they give you the 360 approach. You what know, does that mean? Uh, for me, it's they, they look at you as an individual on your own merits, etc., etc., and um, they had all the information there for you. Um, in other words, they give you all the leaflets on the letting agents that you can go to, etc., etc. I mean, it, you were just bombarded with information. Jane, I don't want to know too much about your no, the, the, exact, no, the exact situation that, uh, at home, but right. when you found out you were going to be homeless and you had a, a month or however long it was to get out, yeah. how did you feel? Gutted, yeah. Um, more along the lines of how how could I get myself in that situation, really? And, and you feel totally vulnerable when you've got two children. So you've been living with a guy, rent yeah. accommodation, and it, it, it fell apart, and yeah, he, yeah. he kind of said, right, out you go. Yeah, basically. And, um, you know, so for me now, regarding the shelter, I mean, when I heard about that yesterday, um, I'm going to do everything I can to help them and support them now to keep this open because I'm quite um, resourceful and, I, and I'm sorting my problems out. I'm still not sorted. I've got to be out of where I am by the 7th of November. I've got a preliminary um, situation, in other words, plan A, but that might not help 
Like, my, we, we still might be out on the streets, literally. Is there any good news, Jane, in your story? Yes. Go I've, on. I've secured employment. Hey, nice one. I know, so I'm just waiting for an offer letter. So once I've got that, it's ex- excellent. Yeah. Which gives you a little bit more of a foundation, really, to work of with. Of course it does. Um, but what I'd like to do, if possible, if you could get somebody from Shelter to call me today, I will actually help them to keep that place open because they need to stay open definitely need to stay open and i will do everything i can to secure them jane listen fantastic thank you very much for sharing your story with us and best of luck with that job i hope it takes off we've been trying to get someone from shelter on the show uh, and we have been unsuccessful but we do have uh, a statement campbell rob chief executive of shelter said uh, we are currently consulting staff on the impact to their services of the government's decision to make huge cuts to legal aid in england which we campaign vigorously against. The cuts will mean a reduction of 50% in our funding to support our face-to-face advice services. If these services have to close as a result of cuts to legal aid, this will be a massive blow not only to our staff, but to the people in the affected areas who will no longer be able to get face-to-face advice and support from shelter. We will be doing all we can to ensure people around the country can still get help with their housing problems. With the ongoing recession, benefit cuts... And the high cost of housing, meaning more and more people struggling to keep a roof over their heads, now is the very worst time to be taking away the housing safety net that helps people stay in their homes. Well, there you go. Thank you very much, Shane. And uh, say best of luck with that job. Tenuous Beatles link. Stephen, my link to the Beatles is, when I was a wee lad, my dad was... Oh, this is great. My dad was in the army based in Germany, and so I played in Germany, as did the Beatles. Will that do? Stephen, that's absolutely perfect. You were in the same country as the Beatles were once. Wonderful. You can email your tenuous Beatles links for the next hour or so. 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Bond, the Beatles... And Luton Airport. Before we get to Luton Airport, we're asking the best James Bond. Vic has texted in, best James Bond, me. Sorry. Unfortunately for the world, I was never chosen. I had to be a butcher instead. Only my customers could realise my good looks. We've had someone tweeted as well, who said, the best Bond has to be Piers Brosnan. Really? He has the right mix of don't mess with me, funny quips, and the girls all swoon. I only watched my first Brosnan uh, Bond about a year ago. It was uh, the GoldenEye film. I found it very tedious and very dated. I thought it was it, it, it looked pretty poor, to be honest. Games Britannia has tweeted, didn't Fleming say that Moore was closest to the Bond character he imagined when writing the books? I'm not totally sure. For me, James Bond is Roger Moore. I guess it's kind of like, who is your favourite Doctor Who? It's partly who you grow up with. Um, but I, and I grew up with Roger Moore, and he was, without a shadow of a doubt, the best. Connery, I just, I just don't get it. I find him a little bit tedious, a little bit pompous, and not particularly exciting at all. Should we have a quick look at the front page of the newspapers before we discuss Luton Airport? Because we've not done it yet, and there's plenty to talk about. The Guardian. Extracts from Neil Young's autobiography. I shall be reading that later on. Cancer and heart experts face NHS acts. And game on. Republicans hail Romney after resounding win in TV debate. The Daily Telegraph. BBC helps thousands to avoid tax. And Judge lifts Freddie Starr libel injunction. Uh, The Times. The Liberty Takers. One tax avoidance scheme. 2,000 wealthy investors. And 1.2 billion kept out of the reach of the taxman. The Independent. Tory chairman rocked by Get Rich Quick Probe. Advertising watchdog launches investigation into Grant Shapp's family business. Very quickly, the Mail. MPs shock at BBC tax deals. Express victory for our Bomber Command heroes. uh, And the Mirror. 
Uh, I saw man with bin bag by river. That's uh, the missing April Jones story. Now, you may have used Luton Airport fairly frequently over the last few years or live within the flight path. Well, now there's a suggestion. Get ready for this. There should be four runways. The uh, policy think tank, which has come up with the idea, says the airport should be moved and built on the Grade 1 listed Luton Who. I'm joined in the studio by John Davis from Larrikin, Luton and District Association for the Control of Aircraft Noise. Good morning, John. Good morning. We'll be with you in a second, sir. I want to find out more about this uh, this think tank policy. And I'm joined on the phone by Neil O'Brien, who is the director of the think tank policy exchange. Good morning, Neil. Good morning. My first question has to be, four runways, are you serious? Yeah, we are serious. So, um, the report looks at all the different options we have for building a proper hub airport for the UK, which we need, obviously, because um, people in business need to be able to get flights to all the developing countries, all the places like India and China, where they want to do business. So it is important economically for the UK that we've got a good hub airport. So the question then is, where's it going to go? So we look at all the different possible options. We look at Boris Island, we look at Kent, we talk about... Gatwick and Heathrow and so on. And our, our preferred option is to try and build it slightly west of where Heathrow is at the moment. We think that's uh, the best option, the minimise disruption. And we've uh, come up with various suggestions about how to minimise the noise so that it doesn't disturb so many people in London. You have quieter aircraft by banning the most noisy ones. You'd have the aircraft flying higher over London and descending more steeply. And you'd do a number of things like moving the airport to the west so that you minimise the noise and end up eventually with about 40% less noise than the current airport provides. But the report does say um, if that doesn't work out, if there's too much opposition to doing that there, it has to go somewhere else. And the second best option, we think, would probably be Luton. And the reason for that is that it's got much better connections to the rest of the country than any of the other uh, airport options. Um, Compared to somewhere like Stansted, for example, it's just much easier to get to. You're close to the M1, you're close to... Uh, good train links into London then into the rest of the country as well so that's probably the second best option but it is the second best because it's quite a hilly site so it'd be a bit more expensive to redevelop but uh, Neil if, you, if say that, sing- you say if there, were, if there were strong protests for the l- uh, airport west of London you'd move it to Luton but what about if there were strong protests mm-hmm. in Luton what about the people yeah. that live there of course, absolutely. And in fact, every single airport where there is uh, discussion about expansion has a strong protest group against that expansion. So the government in, in, is in a difficult position because it knows that for the good of the economy, and we obviously need jobs, we need growth at the moment, we need a, a new proper airport. And every single option, there are really strong opposition. So it's a, a very difficult choice for politicians. And that's why we've done this report looking at the pros and cons of all the different possibilities. Why four runways? Well, four runways is because to, to have a proper hub airport, you need to have quite a lot of people trans- transiting through the airport. If, uh, if you have people coming into the country and then going out again, that means that a lot more long-haul flights are viable. It means that you have better services to all these um, remote countries. And, and so four runways is the kind of the modern standard. Other, other comparators uh, around the world all have kind of four runways now. And Heathrow, which is the only um, airport in the UK that has two runways even really at the moment, full-length runways, uh, that is currently running at something like 99.9% capacity. It's completely overloaded and it can't expand anymore. So hence hence four runways so that you've got that more, more flexibility and you can have a, a proper hub airport that runs smoothly without too many uh, bits of disruption or delay and make it easy for people to, to transit through the airport. 
And also, just making the experience of flying a, a little bit more pleasant. Yeah. Making it easier for people to get to the gate rather than going through all the faff and hours of going through the terminal. Well, no, the so, say that. I've got John Davis with me in the studio from the Luton and District Association for the Control of Aircraft Noise. John, what do you make of this suggestion? Well, I, I mean, in a sense, it's outrageous. The other thing, it's totally impractical. Uh, I mean, we know at the moment the airport's on the top of a on quite high hill. The land drops off very steeply on all sides. If they want the land, it would have to go either into Luton and demolish half Luton, maybe that's what their idea is, or, yeah. more particularly, it will go into Hertfordshire. So yeah. I think the first thing they've got to do is go to Hertfordshire County Council and say, or North Hearts District Council, and say, do you want a great chunk of your land taken over a major international airport? And I should think their answer will be certainly no. Neil? Well, it, it would certainly be moving away from London, uh, Luton, not, to, not, not towards it. And also, the proposal that we've got in this pro- report, because we're conscious of the noise, nobody wants an airport, uh, a bigger airport near them. We're conscious about how you can reduce the noise, so we make all these suggestions like banning the more noisy aircraft and having them uh, landing more steeply to reduce the noise, things like that. So, it, you know, it's a difficult choice for government. It does have to happen somewhere. And as you say, you make a good point about um, the, the, the hills and the, the costs of that would add to the, the process of doing it but still Luton is a much better uh, option than something like building Boris Island which would just be really expensive Johnny. and then you'd end up end up with a, an airport on totally the wrong side of uh, of London for most of the country, everybody in most of the country would have to drive right around it whereas Luton has got very good connections to the rest of the country and also to London. John, so some of what he says makes sense, we, we need to, the, the, the British airports are kind of, they're, they're, they're stuck in the past, if we want to carry on being a, a leading country we need to expand somewhere. Well, Why not, Lucy? It's a sheer practicalities. I've just driven to the studio this morning. Junction 10A clogged up as usual. Mm. All the traffic in and out of Luton clogged up. All the local roads are pretty busy as it is. Even the, the suggestion of Luton itself, the increase almost doubling the number of flights in and out that is currently being discussed under this current development plan, even that adds thousands of cars to the local road network. It can't cope with it. So I think it's totally impractical on the road congestion side, on the steepness of the land around its side, on the noise impact. We, we, we people have been in this airport business for so many years. We've heard so much about banning the noisier aircraft, making them quiet to go up and down more steeply it just don't work as they say john are you not just a, a bit of a nimby though because this this has to happen somewhere at some point in the next 20 years or so well we had a big discussion yesterday and one of the big arguments was in fact does it can aviation continue to expand we have all this problem about climate change about the price of aviation fuel There's no bound proof to that, that climate change is associated with well, it's associated airlines. with CO2 and aircraft churn out. Well, that's, that's one theory. That's yeah. one theory. Well, it, I, I think most of the scientists in the world think it is. But anyway, whatever. Uh, the, the argument about oh, what are we going to do in the next 20 years to get more and more aviation going, maybe it won't do that. Maybe eventually that market will mature. Maybe eventually people will actually be content to stay more in this country for, a, 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 say, a stag weekend away rather than go rushing off to wherever they go at the moment. Neil, do, do we have to do this? John put forward the idea that, that, that we do don't need to expand airports so we can stay as we are well the problem with the the argument he was just making is that it doesn't actually stop people flying what they do then is because we have choked up airports in the uk (laughs) they get on a short-haul flight to either paris or frankfurt or another continental destination and then they fly in from there so they still fly so it doesn't make any difference in in terms of climate change all it does is it means that 
the UK is a less attractive um, place to put your business. People doing business in the UK have to spend longer transiting and waiting in uh, airports like Paris that are doing doing better because they have more capacity. So I don't I don't think that's a particularly good argument. And on, in terms of the infrastructure, that's, that I thought that was a good point. And in the report, we do look at building new rail links and improving all the infrastructure around it as well. Because of course you'd need to do that. This is a, a huge project. It's not like adding a little bit more capacity mm. to the current Luton Airport or having a few more flights. I mean, this is it would be a, a very major project that would bring with it lots of infrastructure too. Suppose, so it's, a good, it's a good point. No, supposing the government said tomorrow, yep, okay, we're going to do this. How long does it take from idea to conception? Well, in, in the UK, I think it would take a long time. I think you wouldn't be looking at this thing opening. Realistically, this is very disappointing, but realistically before sort of 2030, I think, because in the UK, we are not China. We go through a lot of planning inquiries. There's endless appeals and so on. And it's just fundamentally a big a big project. So it's quite a long-term question, this. But the, the point is we need to make a decision one way or another now so that we can get going so we at least have it um you know by then by which point a lot of these issues will become very very critical for the uk john it's 20 years away if it happens at the earliest it's got to be good for the area it's going to generate business tourism money well they they say all that it's also going to be at the expense of local residents who are bound to be flown over i mean this particular runway at luton is right on the edge of luton itself biggish conurbation a lot of the flights go straight over biggish towns nearby it's the worst possible site for the airport as it is we had a big argument yesterday about the disadvantage of it doubling in size never mind this massive thing i think if they do it they have to call it hertfordshire international airport it won't be luton airport any longer how disappointed would you be though being an american going to london luton and realizing your miles away from london that would be gutting neil what what happens now you submit these plans and and then what what happens well the government have just uh, announced an inquiry the davies inquiry which is going to run over the next uh, election and he's going to be looking at all the different options for aviation expansion and it's going to be an interesting argument because um, when you talk about all these different possibilities there is there's always somebody locally and there's always a, a group campaigning against the expansion and there are there are pros and cons of all the things, but I mean, Luton I would say is is the second best option because it's just much easier to get to. As, just as a, a statistic that captures that, about 25% of all people going through Heathrow get to that airport within 30 minutes of setting off from their home. In Luton, which is the second best, it's about 12%. And then for the other options like Gatwick or Stansted, it's only two or three percent. Mm. They're really not that convenient compared to particularly to Heathrow, but also to, to Luton. So this thing has to go somewhere, and there'll be a big argument about where it goes, but um, uh, it is, I think Luton is one of the options that the government should take seriously as an option. John, final word Well, you. why don't you come out and look at the site one of these days? You'll see it's a com- completely ridiculous well, we've site. we've already been, yeah, we've already been. Yeah, well, we'll take you round and show you some of the disadvantage of the site. You talk about increasing the train service and so on. The Midland Main Line is almost, quotes, full as it is. Mm. There's a lot of talk about in- increasing the capacity of that line. It's just not going to happen. I think it's a crazy idea, and I think you best go back to the drawing board immediately. John Davis from Laddicombe, thank you very much. And uh, Neil O'Brien, the director of the Think Tank Policy Exchange, thank you very much. And Neil, if you ever do fancy coming along and having a little look around with John, we'd be more than happy to escort you. Thank you very much for coming on the air. John, thank you very much, as always. It's 7.46, Friday the 5th of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A Luton MP says there needs to be more employment in order to stop tensions between rival groups in the town. This follows the death of local teenager Delaney Brown. Police officers have spent a fourth night searching for April Jones, the five-year-old girl who's missing in mid-Wales. 
In sport, in the first practice of the Japanese Grand Prix, Hertfordshire's Lewis Hamilton came second. The weather across beds, hearts and bucks. Rain soon dying out with brighter skies developing. Maximum temperature is 15 degrees. And coming up... Oh, yes. More Beatles. There was no way I was going to take this morning off sick. You, I would have had to come in my hospital bed. I would have done it. Hear more from one man who performed on the same bill as the Fab Four at Luton's Majestic Ballroom in 1963. Maybe you were there and saw him. Oh, wait, 459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, wait, 459 About three or four minutes. We've got a cracking Beatles story coming up. A cracking one. Now, when you last drove through Dunstable, did you notice many problems with roadworks? A business owner claims that trade is down nearly 40% because of problems and now says the situation is getting worse. Traffic is being diverted away from his shop while the work is completed. Our reporter, Gareth Lloyd, is in Dunstable this morning. Good morning, Gareth. Tell us exactly where you are and what you can see. Morning, Ian. Yes, I'm in the centre of Dunstable this morning. Uh, The supermarket, the Asda supermarket car park is where I've uh, parked up. Uh, The story has nothing really to do with Asda's. It's just uh, uh, their car park is the easiest place to uh, overlook the fish and chip shop. And that's the problem. That's all I really can do. Uh, I can't get much closer to it because of the roadworks that are around this area that are uh, affecting this part of Dunstable at the moment. The owner of the uh, fish and chip shop is Mike. Uh, Mike, now I was here three weeks ago and there were problems then. Let's let's go through the problems that we were talking about that... uh, when I was last here? Well, the problems we had last time was that we are saying that the roads, um, the people cannot get into us uh, because of these roadworks. Uh, the roadworks were done the wrong way around and it's about time that the council, the county council that is, actually admitted this. Uh, we've been in contact with their legal department and all we've got is a letter saying that there's a slight diversion and this isn't the case. Um, previously, the uh, road was a uh, uh, traffic could go both ways down the road, uh, and you'd come in from the college, from the leisure centre, the, uh, the the burnt out uh, uh, Norman King. You could drive round past the uh, the theatre district, the supermarket, and then out into the centre of Dunstable onto uh, onto that's uh, Church. No, it's not Church Street. Is it? That's that's uh, High, Street, High Street, High Street North. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, now it's been completely turned into a one way system, and so you have to come from the the outskirts of Dunstable really to get anywhere near your shop. Yes, uh, we understand that they have to do uh, health and safety for their own workers when they work on here, so a one-way system should be put in. But not to take the traffic away from the shops. You bring traffic into the shops. They could have done a loop within a loop and then kept the uh, shop's uh, disturbance down to an absolute minimum. So why are we back uh, today? What's happened over the last few weeks? Have things got better? Uh, No, they've got worse. Uh, They've had to do work, uh, essential work on the... Uh, pavements out where we are here and we understand that Uh, but what they've done was they blocked off the pathway that leads from the car park going towards Grove House Uh, this is okay except for nobody absolutely nobody put up any signs now I've had cases where I've had to go out and rescue a couple of old ladies who were walking down the middle of the road on a one-way system in the dark there's no lighting around here and they could have been killed they didn't know how to get into Asda's or into anywhere safe and this is absolutely unacceptable. Uh, trade for you then, the fish and chip shop. I mean, how's that looking? Has that been affected? Oh, has it been affected? Uh, we have come down by about 40%, as I explained to you last time, and we're still in that situation. Uh, I do believe that the council have made a big mistake. Uh, one of their senior people has told me that, yes, he didn't take the shops into account when he done this, but don't worry, we'll take care of it next time. This doesn't help me. 
and it's about time the council took responsibility for what they're doing, not only to myself, but to all the shops at Dunstable. I was going to say, Mike, I'll be back with you in a second, I've got a favour to ask you from uh, from Ian. Uh, but uh, another shop on the on the parade is uh, Queensway News, and I wanted to hear from uh, Vikran and Path, the, who uh, work there. Uh, Mike's saying 40% down on trade because of what's happening here, the roadworks. Uh, the, the news agents, how long have you been there for? We had that shop for like nearly enough four years now, and this is the first time that we've been down by at least near enough 50%. You, you reckon you're down 50% on sales? Well, yeah, in terms of all, overall sales, yeah, we're down by 50%. How, how many people would be uh, turning up of a morning to buy a paper from uh, from your news agents? Uh, well, right now it's around 30, 40 max, but it used to be quite many, more than 150, I say. And you, you could categorically put that down to the roadworks and people not being able to stop and get across to your, your shop? Yeah, because obviously people can't get into the shop because due to the roadworks because of one way, and obviously there is not enough signs to even tell that obviously there is a roadwork. So that's that's the reason why people can't get into the shop, and that's the reason why we're done. To be fair, uh, just finally, I don't know much about business, but fifty percent does sound like uh, quite a hefty whack. Uh, survival for you is it looking promising? Well, we are struggling. Fifty percent is quite a lot to be fair in a news agent, and obviously we are struggling to pay our like uh, council tax, and bills, and everything at the moment. Well, we never used to struggle before, but now obviously because of the road works we're struggling quite a lot at the moment mike what, what do you want i want the council to come down here not give words but to come down here have a look at the situation and then assess what the damage is that they have done to the people here and that is not only to myself like i say but for the whole of the town and the fact that they are sitting away from here at chick sands and never been down here is ridiculous. They should come down here and should try and put right what they have done wrong. Mike, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Vikram Path, as well, for joining us. Now, Mike, just quickly and briefly, I know it's a, a serious subject, but uh, Ian's been asking this morning about your pickled eggs. Do you have any on the counter this morning? Uh, we might be able to find one there no. for him somewhere. <laughs> Ian, I'll be bringing back your pickled <laughs> egg. Please, please do, Gareth, because last time I was gutted when you, you lied to me on air. So get, <laughs> get me a pickled egg. I demand it. Before nine o'clock, there'll be a pickled egg back in the studio. <laughs> Bless you, Gareth. You're very kind. Thank you very much, Gareth Lloyd there in Dunstable. Now, today it is Beatles Day. Fifty years ago today, on October the 5th, 1962, the Fab Four released their first single, Love Me Do. Well, Jim Waits was uh, uh, on the same bill as the Beatles. I find this very exciting, Jim. When they performed at Luton's Majestic Ballroom in 1963, he was rhythm guitarist with... Tony Stevens and the Quintones. You don't get band names like that anymore. What a cracking name for a band. Jim still lives in Luton and he joins me in the studio. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. Uh, was there actually a Tony Stevens? There was a Tony Stevens, yeah. And you were one of the Quintones? I was one of the Quintones. So you, you played with the Beatles. Did you get to meet them and talk to them at all? Only before we started. Yeah. When, they, when they literally came through the... Uh, ballroom, basically. And were they, were they, they, were they big then, or were they just kind of bubbling? What just was kind of bubbling then. Right, in okay. Those days, yeah, but, uh, God, what a group. What a group. No. Well, uh, hey, listen, I love the Beatles. I know I look like a very young man. Thank you. Don't say anything. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I think the Beatles are fantastic. Let, let's, first of all, let's talk about when you, you, you met them, or you, they walked past you. What, what was your impression of them when you saw them? Um, and be honest. Be, be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I think Paul McCartney stood out. Yeah. Um, he basically came in first, he led them. And he had a scarf on, a multicoloured scarf. Yeah. And this scarf literally touched the floor and went wrapped two or three times around his neck. Fantastic. You know, and just just shouted to us all as we you know, came in. We were setting up on the stage at the time, you know. But, uh, it's funny you say that because, of course, all, all Beatles footage up until 1966 is all black and white. So when I think of the Beatles in 63, I think of them 
in black and white. It's really yeah. hard to imagine yeah. it in colour. Uh, did you did you speak to any of them? Did you have a little chat no. with them at all? No, no. My wife did. Oh, oh, my, oh. Girl, my girlfriend at the time. Hello, Jean. hang yeah. on a second. Uh, what, what, what's your wife's name? Jean. Jean. And what did she say to them? Well, she just had a chat with them and. That's what she got. Oh, that, that is a copy. Look yeah, at this. Hang on a second. What we've got, what he's handing me here is a framed. It's a copy. You're right. Yeah. Uh, a framed uh, picture. The Beatles on Parlophone Records to Gene. Love from the Beatles. Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, John Lennon, George Harrison. Harrison's got the neatest handwriting out of yeah. the <laughs> So, uh, have you got the original of this? At yeah, home? I've got the original at home. Yeah. Man, alive. how much do you want for it? I'll give you fifty quid. <laughs> I'll give you. I'll give you hundred quid for it. No way. Have you had it valued? Um, my son had it valued over in the states. He goes over to the States quite yeah. a bit. And, uh, what, would you, what, four grand, three, three that grand? That was quite a few thousand dollars. Yeah, I bet it was, man. Stuff, get all four Beatles signatures. You just, you just don't find them anymore. Yeah. Were they, 63, were they at the stage of getting loads of screams? And no. They no, weren't no, there no, yet? No, no. That didn't come till well, later on. I think they came to Luton three times. Right. First at the Majestic, and then followed the Odeon. Who play with another local group, Mike yeah. Dean and the Kinsmen, <laughs> yeah. friends of ours. I love Just it. plug them. You I, know? Love, I love. Yeah, you plug a band from <laughs> fifty years ago. Why not? You, Why of not? course you can. And the last time was, I think, it was in '64, uh, yeah. and they came to the Ritz Cinema. Mm. So they've been here three times. Was so. there anyone else on the bill with you? No, no, just, just us and the Beatles. You were just the opening act for the yep. Beatles. Yeah, we opened and closed. And the thing is, Paul McCartney always says, oh, the Beatles were a great band live, you just couldn't hear us. You could hear them live. Oh, yeah. Were yeah. they a great band no, or they were they a bit... They, really? They, they were different. They were st- certainly different, you know. Yeah. The sound they got, but... Well, just looking at them. Yeah. Um, were they still in the kind of like the leather waistcoat type of affair then? No, the suits. They had the, they had yeah. the suits. There's not, not many groups you can have a haircut named after you. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> a suit named after you. Yeah. The old Beatles suit, no lapels. The Beatles boots as well. Beatles boots, yeah. yeah. And so you saw them, you were a musician. Did it just make you want to give up your guitar or did it inspire oh, no. you? Oh, to... no, it inspires you. It yeah. really inspires you, yeah. Yeah, just you know, crack on. But uh... God, What's the other picture you've got there? Is that, is that, your, is that your band? Yep. Look at this. Come on. There, there's, there's two. <laughs> also in black and white, as you notice. <laughs> Hey, look, you've got a little... Who's that with the keyboard? That's that, quite that's, advanced. Yeah, that's Bob. Bob for, Appleby. It's Bob, of course yeah. it is, for 63. I'm trying to work out which one you are. I'm going to say that's, no, that's no, you on the end. No, no, that's not me. Which, which one are you? <laughs> Second on the end on the right. That one there? That's me. Good luck. I was trying to go for the chin. You've both got strong chins in that picture. And what, did you, what was your role in the band? Rhythm guitar. Rhythm guitar. Look, there's a picture. And sung a little bit. No wonder they're so popular. It was so good, I thought I was listening to the Tornadoes. I'm referring to the Quintones rendering of Telstar at Ashcroft Youth Club. Fantastic. There you go. Did you write any songs? Did you do no. any original stuff? It was all no. covers at the time. Yeah, all covers. Yeah. Did yeah. you ever get to record anything? No. Um, we went in t- for a talent competition yeah. down at the top rank. The manager there, I think his name was Bob Mitchell. Yeah. And we won that. And um, we were offered uh, a tour of the top-ranked ballrooms. Yeah. And uh, I think it was a recording contract with, I think it was a firm called Sunflower Records or right. something like that. And as we were all apprentices, I think it was four of us at Vauxhall, worked, yeah. Electrolux and so on, we went to our head man down at Vauxhall and asked him if we could have a, a few months off our apprenticeship <laughs> to become on. rock stars. Well, well as, as you do. Yeah. You know, uh, and he uh, told you to get knotted. He, basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. The Quintones could have been as, as big as the Beatles I mean, if your boss at Vauxhall. Very quickly, the, 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 the Majestic Ballroom, now a block of flats. Back of flats, yeah, Langham Close. How does yeah. that make you feel? Not very good. Yeah. Uh, keep music shame. alive. Is it, you're right. It's a shame we lost all of those things. Listen, thank you so much uh, for coming in, Jim. 
I'm, I, I love all stuff like that. And you, you got to play with the Beatles. Yeah. Doesn't get any better uh, than that. Fantastic. Right, we have to move on, I'm afraid. Thank you, Serena. I got a bit confused there. I thought it was half past seven, not eight o'clock. Well, it is. It's three minutes past eight. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, Friday the 5th of October. Plenty coming up in the last hour of the show before Bill Buckley, who's filling in for JVS, including community relationships have gone backwards. So says the grandfather of murdered Luton teenager Delaney Brown. A homeless charity uh, says uh, services are under threat in Milton Keynes and Hertfordshire and a High Wycombe hardware store just got sexy. Why do we love hardware stores so much? BBC Three Counties Radio. I've, I've been, I'm going to do some of these tenuous Beatles links because some of you have tweeted some fantastic stuff. Uh, James Brown. I have a plate with the Beatles on it. I never eat from them. It would seem weird. <laughs> it would be weird. Plates with people's faces on is weird. Mark McCulloch says, I used to work in Chiswick above the bootleg Beatles office. They're the, the kind of like the Beatles tribute band. I regularly saw John Lennon making a cup of tea in full white suit. Uh, our daughter is called Martha Eleanor, a proper Beatles baby. Well done, Hannah. And uh, Paul <laughs> Paul Scoynes, <laughs> I've heard of him. He's the political reporter here at BBC Three Counties. My mum... Is this true? My <laughs> Scoynesy! My mum made some of the hats worn in the Beatles film Help whilst working at the Milliners. She was also leered at by Sid James. Scoynesy, thank you very much for that indeed. Now, uh, you can get in touch. Uh, email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text the uh, word 3cr to 81333. Or you can give us a phone call 08459 555. Thank you very much for uh, taking part. It makes the show a bit better, I think. Now, there has been a community meeting in, a t- in an attempt to keep the peace in Luton following the murder of teenager Delaney Brown. Four men have been bailed in connection with the death of the 19-year-old who was knocked off his bike by a car. There are concerns that the murder was prompted by rivalry between different groups concentrated in separate areas of Luton. Delaney Brown's grandfather, Delaney Brown Senior, Senior spoke at the meeting. In terms of community relationship, we've gone backwards now. On with those boys. They absolutely hate the police. They absolutely hate the police. We've got to work together to build that relationship because we need the police. Right? This is, we, we, we live in a society where we can't live without. If we could, we would. But unfortunately, that don't make no sense. Madam, I have to address you. I appreciate we have youth centres, but we don't need any more youth centres. What we need is community enterprises. We, these boys want money. They want uh, 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 things, projects to go into business that they can buy their trainers, that they can look after the children that they're having very young to learn how not to have those children very young. They need community enterprises as well as the younger ones need youth centres. Well, after the meeting, BBC Three Counties reporter Ollie Bayliss spoke to PC Mike Colburn from Bedfordshire Police. Mike Colburn, what's your reaction to tonight's meeting? You can still hear in the background there's been a really bu- real buzz around the place. I think a lot of people have come together with a lot of energy. People wanted to share their stories about how things can get better. Um, it has unfortunately uh, happened in the, uh, um, you know, in the few days following a really tragic event in terms of the death of Delaney Brown, a young 19-year-old boy who 
really had everything going for him. Um, and we as a community have got to come together and recognise that not all is the way we want it to be. And so what you've heard tonight is people who have been pledging to do something about that, to come together in partnership and find ways forward so that we can actually deal with some of those really big problems that lead to relationships breaking down and problems in communities. What progress is being made in finding those responsible for Delaney Brown's death? Well, there have been four arrests that have taken place and there's an ongoing investigation uh, which is being headed up by our major crime unit. Um, there's been painstaking investigation that's gone into that. There are individuals who are currently on bail uh, and we w- will be speaking to them further in terms of uh, the issues in the investigation that's going on. But what I would say at this particular point is we really do want to hear from any other members of the community that have got any information that we can actually bring in to better understand what happened on that night, on the 5th of September, and the issues surrounding it. Because without that help, without that community, and without those individuals feeling safe to come to us, they will be supported by us. But without that, we can't give closure to the family. And we've got a family who's still grieving, we've got a community this morning, and we need to find ways of bringing offenders to justice. And it's just really important we do that. And we need, we need help to do that. We're doing the best we can. We've got to make sure we get that information. What steps are being taken to ensure something like this never happens again? Well, I think you've been hearing about a lot of it today. I mean, the first thing is tragic circumstances will sometimes happen. You know, relationships break down, a level of animosity, a level of anger is there, and unfortunately things happen in communities. What we should be doing is trying to minimise the causes that lead people to behave like that and lead uh, to such tragic incidents. And I think that happens with people coming together, better understanding needs. There are real cultural issues here and real respect issues and real organisational, the way in which we do our business and the way in which we make sure that our services really do meet the need. We've got to examine all of that and we've got to do it in a mature way we've got to challenge and support each other and it's for the police it's for local leadership and it's for community groups to do that and that's what this is all about and we've got to make it work well earlier on in this show i spoke to labour mp for luton north kelvin hopkins he told me he thinks more needs to be done to get young men into work my concern and my i I really do believe this is that what we need is employment there was a time 40 years ago when Vauxhall General Motors mm. used, to, used to canvas door-to-door for workers and young men, particularly young men, who left school on a Friday would start at Vauxhall or Electrolux or SKF on the, on the, on the Monday. Uh, and there were thousands, tens of thousands of manufacturing jobs. Uh, people would work their whole lives in these companies, have a good life, good wages uh, and le- lead a proper life. Now, there are, there are, we have a very, very high level of unemployment nationally and significant unemployment locally. And it's young men uh, who, who often got kicking their heels in the streets with nothing much to do. Uh, we've got a, a text on this. Uh, if you've got a text in, do put your name on. Just it makes it a little bit more personal. But this one uh, is anonymous. Teenagers have always complained about nothing to do. It's never changed and won't. Today's whingers have more TV, the internet, mobile devices and so much at their fingertips. All they do now is hang around in groups because they have no identity and use badly made music as their role models. The world is full of things to do, so don't give me that excuse. As for the fourth peace meeting, it doesn't seem they've actually achieved anything apart from saying we need community. It took four meetings to reach that conclusion. Geniuses, these people. Men in suits know about youngsters. They were young once and have been there. Your lady guest said they need more money for enterprise. Everyone says that. Throwing money at a problem is a cop-out. Use your imagination if you have one and wake up. Life is for grabbing, not for complaining uh, and whining. Well, you say about men in suits know about young people. I don't know if they do. I'm 39, okay, and I like to think I know what young people say and think and feel. But really, I've got no idea what a 17-year-old lad thinks. 
in the great scheme, it was 22 years ago for me. Things have moved on so much. And men in their suits, in their 40s and 50s, I'm sure a lot of them have the best intentions. But do they really know what it feels like to be 17, have no prospects, uh, and have nothing to do? And you're right, yes, we do have Playstations and Xboxes and mobile phones and, and TV and YouTube and all of these things. But really... That doesn't solve the, and I'm going to use a word here that some of you may scoff at, it doesn't solve the spiritual problem, does it? I'm not talking about that in a religious sense. But having the iPhone 5 and uh, an iPod and a good laptop, and an, it doesn't solve the emptiness that's inside, does it? 08459. Four double five five double five. Earlier on, we uh, spoke to our reporter Gareth Lloyd, who is in Dunstable, um, because there are all these roadworks happening alongside the ASDA. Nothing to do with the ASDA, but just to put it into context of where it is. And a lot of the local shops were saying that their business is down by as much as forty percent. Uh, we've got Ray in Dunstable on the line. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. <laughs> oh, you, I, I remember you. You're the fellow we spoke to the other day. You're, you're the blind chap with the guy Dog Sparky. That's, you've got a good memory. Oh, I've you've got an got excellent me- memory, and it's typed up on the screen in front of me, if I'm completely honest. Let's, oh. <laughs> let's be honest. But, and I remember that laugh as well, Ray. I can never forget that. Go on, what's your take on this Dunstable Roadworks? Oh, my God, did I have a journey. If you had sent out one of your reporters to come with me yesterday, you yeah. would have had a field day. Why, what happened? Uh, well, I came out of the gym and, and we had to go to the bank. As I said to you, the magic dog, you know, he takes me where I want to I, go. I right. should re- let me just remind the listener, Ray, you proudly boasted, and we're going to send someone out to report on this, <laughs> you boasted that you, in the morning, you tell Sparky, your guide dog, where you want to go, I want to go to the gym. Yes. And he leads you to the gym. Yes. Okay, I'm still dubious about this, but carry on. <laughs> now, I've got to, I've got, Go I've got to be honest. I have talked to other guide dog owners, yes, and not they all don't do it. Some of them do, but mine, mine. Yours is, is special. <laughs> Yours is special, right? Yes. Well, he is to me. Yes. He's not to nobody else. He is to me. <laughs> Good lad. But um, anyway, um, when I came out of the gym, we're from the White Line Retail Park down towards. I wanted to go to where that chippy is. I was going to my bank. Yeah. And he knows where the bank is. Okay, so you say, right? you say Sparky, so the bank near the chippy. And he knows where to go. <laughs> okay. Okay, no no, no. no, no. No, I'm not rubbing my chin. I go on, carry on. I, I believe you. <laughs> so uh, we went down, um, I think it's called Court Drive, to go to, uh, like, we have to cross over because they had pavement closed off on one side. Yeah. With, and it was open on the other. And I say to him, go to the curb, take me across the road. When we get across the road, the pavement on the other side is closed as well. Uh-oh. So I said, right, come, we go back. And we went back and we went down towards, I think it's called Kingsway, yeah. to cross over the pavement there. And there it was totally blocked as well. Oh. And I had no way, the dog will not take me onto the road. He, no. will, he will take me around the park car if it's parked on the pavement. Just say, yeah. find a way, find a way. Yeah. And he will. But he will not take me into the middle of the road. So I couldn't get anywhere. So you were stranded? I was stranded. One oh. of the men came off his digger and he said, uh, where do you want to go, mate? And I said, well, I wanted to get to Dunstable. Uh, but all the pavements. I said, why can't they... They normally put in a pedestrian walkway. Of course they do, when they're doing works like that. They have a little on crossing, don't they? Sides, yeah. On both sides, Ian. It was ludicrous. Yeah. You know, I mean, as I think I heard earlier, two ladies had to be helped. Yeah. And when you're blind, I mean, all right, this man did get off a sticker, but we had to go through the roadworks itself, and it's up and down where they were digging holes. Yeah. He took me uh, through the area itself, 
And, but, you know, Sparky didn't know whether he was coming or going, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to laugh at your terrible situation. <laughs> I just can't not laugh when you say the word Sparky. Uh, Ray, listen, we, I, I'm, 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 I'm sorry to doubt a blind man, but I'm still dubious of your story. We are going to send someone out in the next few weeks to watch Sparky the Magic Dog and see if your claims are true. Right. And, Ray, thank you for your call this morning. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, mate. Take and care. Likewise, Ian. Take care now. Bye. Fantastic. What a fantastic, infectious laugh. I've got this horrible husky growl, and Ray's got this sprightly little laugh. Right. Let's put a smile on my face. It's 8.16. It's Friday, the 5th of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. If I can just open the right thing. Sorry, I was chatting to Bill Buckley. How, how terribly inappropriate. It's, it's, it's your fault, Bill. Now it's not my fault. How dare you? These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A Luton-based community group wants young people to help stop tensions between rival groups in the town following the death of teenager Delaney Brown. There's a plan by a think tank to have four runways at Luton Airport, which would mean building on Luton Who. In sport, in the first practice of the Japanese Grand Prix, Hertfordshire's Lewis Hamilton came second. And coming up, oh yes, more Beatles. Imagine this. You're sitting in a pub, Paul McCartney sits next to you and plays a future classic hit for the first time. It happened to one man in Bedford. Hear more in the final part of, your sh- of the show. And I'm still after your, your tenuous Beatles links. You can email them, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. BBC Three Counties Radio. Yes, the man that um, caused me to be a little bit late for that news bit, and I can only br- uh, apologise. Oh. Luckily, it's his last day, Bill Buckley. I've, well, I've, I have no words, <laughs> which is rude. not like me. I know. Yes. Normally, uh, how are you, Bill Buckley? You, you good? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to miss these little handovers. Oh, I, me I, too. I, 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 I let the listener into a little secret. We, we, Bill and I worked together many, many years ago in a yeah. different life, and we had similar little handovers. And it's always a pleasure to see you. I believe it was Peaches and Herb who said reunited, and it feels so good. <laughs> yeah. What have you got for us today, sir? Well, the JVS show, of course, with me, Bill Buckley, standing in for the final time yep. for Jonathan. He's back on Monday. We're asking today: Are there some people who just can't give up smoking mm. um are you one of the uk's eight million smokers there are still eight million people out there incredible sucking in poison on a daily basis well i can see where you're coming from <laughs> <laughs> well, your impartiality enjoying <laughs> enjoying a legal habit put it another way yes. yes just for balance uh stoptober backed by cancer research uk and the british heart foundation hopes that a united effort will help more people to uh, to give up uh, there is research that shows that if you can stop for 28 days mm. you are five times more likely to stay smoke-free from then on. But can you even stop for 28 days? We're five days into the campaign now. Is it working, or has the pull of the fag proved too strong for some already? So today, uh, we ask, are there some people who just can't give up smoking? Have you ever smoked? I did. I smoked very kind of minorly from the age of 20 to 27. Ooh, what a rebel I was. I know, very naughty. Yes. I smoked for a bit, uh, quite a long time, actually. And always on on things like National No Smoking Day, I would smoke more as a, a a two-fingered <laughs> salute. To, but, but I stopped eight years ago, and it was it was the best thing I ever did. Yeah. Completely stopped. Do you know, I never told my mum and dad, and I know yeah. lots of people in their 30s or 40s yep. whose mum and dad don't <laughs> know that they ever did or still do smoke. Do you know what? It's funny, Shalette, my mum doesn't know. And this is the first time I've ever admitted in a public <laughs> yeah. forum that I used to be a smoker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm nearly 40. You're always mummy's little boy, even when you've Very. drawn your pension. My, if, I, yeah. if my mum found out that I'd, I'd smoked for a bit, I would get such a rollicking. I would be in so much trouble. You're absolutely convinced that word will not get back of, from, from this moment. Then. Thank you. I, I fingers crossed. I oh. See you later on. Enjoy All your right. last day, sir. We'll, we'll catch up again in the future at some point. Bill Buckley in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith at nine o'clock. Always a cracking listen. 
I have a tenuous Beatles link <clears throat> that Carpet Martin has tweeted me, and I've been toying with the idea of whether I should read it or not. I'm going to read it for the sake of balance. And I don't in any way condone this behaviour at all. My old dad used to bully Paul McCartney at school. Beatles fans will be pleased to hear he died in 1994. There you go, I've, I've read it. And I don't in any way condone that behaviour, but it's a tenuous Beatles link. Um, and I've, if you, you've got 35 minutes or so to send in your uh, tenuous Beatles links, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can, of course, call if you want, 08459 555. Now, you may know someone who's been made homeless in the past and how difficult it was for them to find accommodation. They may have turned to the charity Shelter. For help. Well, now advice services in Milton Keynes and Hertfordshire are under threat from closure. They say it's because of government cuts to legal aid funding. Earlier, Jane from Milton Keynes joined us. She has recently been forced to face being homeless. She told me about the support that she's had from Shelter. Their approach is totally different to the council. Yeah, in what way? They give you the 360 approach. You what know, does that mean? Uh, for me, it's they, they look at you as an individual on your own merits, etc., etc. And um, they had all the information there for you. Um, in other words, they give you all the leaflets on the letting agents that you can go to, etc., etc. I mean, it, you were just bombarded with information. Jane, I don't want to know too much about your no, the, the, exact, the, the exact situation th- uh, at home, but right. when you found out you were going to be homeless and you had a, a month or however long it was to get out, yeah. how did you feel? Gutted, yeah. Um, more along the lines of, how how could I get myself in that situation, really? And, and you feel totally vulnerable when you've got two children. Well, joining us on the line now is Mark Lancaster. He's the Conservative MP for Milton Keynes North East. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Mark, what impact could this closure have? Well, um, hopefully uh, it won't have a dramatic impact because, of course, Shelter are not the only organisation which provide these services within Milton Keynes. Indeed, one of the reasons uh, that Shelter is suffering this shortfall in funding is because there's been a competitive competitive tendering process in the council, uh, and the council are actually giving the funds now to the Citizens Advice Bureau, who will also be able to offer uh, a very similar service. So I think I simply want to reassure uh, residents in Milton Keynes that uh, as has often been the case in the past. It's more than one organisation which offers these services and they'll still be able to go to the Citizens Advice Bureau uh, to get these sorts of services that were described um, just then. Is the, the CAB, is that independent or is that part of the council? Because Jane, who we spoke to earlier on, was really disappointed with the, the service that she got from the council. No, the Citizen Advice Bureau is an independent body that has funding from um, several different sources, and uh, the local council have decided, rather than it provide the services itself, um, it will allow the Citizen Advice Bureau to provide those services. So, yes, of course it's independent and separate from the council, and I think that's important. Uh, we hear a lot on this station, particularly on, on Jonathan's show, that the CAB, it's overstretched, that people really struggle to get appointments there. But this is the whole point now, that they have a new string of funding from the council. So their their um, revenue will increase to help them um, cope with that demand. Uh, I think one of the problems we have to face, of course, is that, you know, we are we have historically spent more money than we have in the government. I think everybody accepts that we need to make some spending reductions. And in some areas where you have more than one body providing very similar services, there is some logic um, in streamlining those services. But and I think is... extra revenue source for Citizens Advice Bureau will be good. But Shelter is specifically... D- dealing with housing, whereas CAB is kind of a much broader spectrum. Aren't you worried, Mark, that that some of the specialised knowledge will be lost? 
Well, I certainly hope that's not the case. I mean, the problem we face, um, of course, is there's many different voluntary organisations, each providing individual services. So, for example, um, within Milton Keynes, we still have Orbit and YMCA who can provide emergency accommodation, as indeed Shelter did before. We have the CAB now who will be picking up the different strands when it comes to emergency loans. Um, it's, it's, it's never straightforward. You can't um, stovepipe different organisations into providing certain services. Um, but having looked into this after I was contacted by your programme, um, I am confident that the broad spectrum of services which have been offered will still be available to my constituents in Milton Keynes, albeit in a slightly different form. And people will be able to walk into the CAB uh, without an appointment and stay there as long as they need to, like they can in shelter? That's exactly how the CAB works, yes. OK. Uh, do, do any idea when shelter is going to close down? Well, I've not been told that they are going to be closing down. Having seen the press release, um, my impression from the press release simply was that it's been considered. Now, I think the other point is that they are saying that because the, there's a reduction of funding from central government on legal aid, and um, this is why they may have to close. But, of course, if that's the only source of their funding, I'd be very concerned. I think any, I said this to any voluntary organisation, you know, try and get as wide a spectrum of funding um, options as you can, because if you, if you rely on a single source, um, particularly government, then, of course, you're always going to be potentially in trouble if that source of funding goes as could go in any walk of life. So the key thing is make sure that you have different sources of funding so that you're not reliant on any one. Well, yeah, it's fine saying that now, but it, it, it's a little bit late for shelter. And, and, and the changing to legal aid... Well, actually, actually, to be fair, to be fair, organisations have been told that for many years. And this is not something that's coming out, the, you know, coming out of the blue now. I think organisations have been warned for many years that they have to try and get as many different sources of funding as possible. So I don't accept that you're saying it's all right saying that now. This has been said for some time. Well, OK. But the, the changes to the legal aid funding, yep. that's, that was kind of a bit of a shock, wasn't it? Well, this is, no, this is, this is a bill that's passed through in 2011, so that's, you know, that's sort of over 12 months ago that this went through. Uh, at the same time, I think people do expect that in each of the government departments we are having to make savings. So if we don't cut legal aid or uh, make it uh, more, more precise in who's going to get it, then what do we cut? It does I mean, seem that the, the most... What do people want to see? It does seem... Closing? It does seem... No, of course, it, that's a silly thing to say. But it does seem that well, it's, it's the most... It does seem... Say, it, it's Mark, not a silly Mark, thing Mark, to say, because it's out. a zero-sum game, Mark, isn't it? Mark, it does seem that the most vulnerable people, again, are suffering. But I said to you at the start, you know, when you, when you asked me, I am confident, having looked into this, that a new funding stream is opening up with the Citizens' Advice Bureau. So when you talk about the specific services um, which will be lost if, and it's only if at this stage, shelter closes, I'm saying that, um, having looked into it, I'm pleased that the, cons- uh, that the council will be uh, funding the Citizens' Advice Bureau to take up um, this role. Mark Lancaster, the Conservative MP for Milton Keynes North East. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, time for one very quick tenuous Beatles link. Philip Bridal says, oh, let's see if we can squeeze two in. The guy who taught John and George acoustic guitar was trained by the guy who also took, taught me. Well done. And my father, Bruce, was a Luton News photographer who met the Beatles at the town hall when they signed the visitor's book with the mayor, Tim, in Luton. I'm loving these tenuous links. Thank you so much for this. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, I'll be honest. I didn't think my voice was going to last the whole show, but if anything, it's, it's added a, a, a rich, sexy timbre to it. I mean, I feel awful, but the voice survived. It, it's passed the test. Plenty coming up in the last half an hour of the show before... Um, oh, ho, ho, I've just seen what I think may be a pickled egg. Oh, <laughs> that's my, the show's over. It, it's finished. Bill, you can start early. There's a pickled egg that needs eating. Uh, sorry. 
Coming up in the next half an hour, Luton Airport should have four runways. Four runways. That's according to a leading think tank. We'll find out whether an aviation analyst thinks it could really happen. And we will discover before the end of the show who you think is the best Bond. 08459 four double five five double five. But it's Beatles Day here on uh, BBC Three Counties Radio and all across the BBC network. 50 years ago today, on October the 5th, 1962, the Fab Four released their first single, Love Me Do. Now, imagine this, and this is a fantastic story. I am so envious. You've popped into your local pub right, on a Sunday night and one of the biggest pop stars on the planet is there. That's exactly what happened in the village of Harold in Bedfordshire in the summer of 1968. Paul McCartney was on the M1, heading back to London after recording with the Black Dyke Mills Band in Yorkshire. He was a bit bored, as you would be, and randomly put a pin in a map and decided to stop off at Harold. And it was in the Oakley Arms where McCartney performed... This is so cool. He performed Hey Jude for the very first time in public, in a pub. Well, Justin Dealey has been to meet John Keach, who was one of the lucky ones to witness events that famous night. Hey Jude... Don't make it bad Take a sad song and make it better So, John, we're inside the Oakley Arms. Now, where we're standing right now, there is a fireplace, but this was where the piano was, and this was where McCartney performed Hey Jude. What a night. Tell us your memories. Well, I, I just was talking to him at the bar, and I was born in Liverpool, the same as him just started playing on the piano and he said come and sit over here and we just sat next to him and he made out he said make out you play yeah. I said I can't play <laughs> and he just played Hey Jude it was unbelievable really but no airs and graces he was just an ordinary bloke and what a great story as well because he quite simply put a, a pin in the map and said let's go there let's go to Harold in Bedfordshire and you had no idea he was here you'd literally turned up to buy some tobacco yeah I just on a Sunday evening I thought I'd get some for the morning, for Monday, for work. Came down, walked in, I met this Irish chauffeur, talking to him, and he said, would you like to go meet Paul McCartney? And I said, well, what do you think? And he said, I said, um, where is he? He said, he's in the, at the bar. Go through. So we went through, and that was it. And he was there with Peter Asher, because he was going out with Jane Asher then. Mm. He? No, he was an amazing bloke. I asked him where John Lennon was. And, and what he did he said, say? Shut up. <laughs> Everybody asked me that. But... Um, he was good banter, he wasn't... No, he was... I liked him a lot. He was a normal man, I think. Such a fabulous story. He performed Hey Jude for the first time in public in here. Uh, that was great. You, of course, were sitting next to him. But it wasn't just Hey Jude. He no. sat down and did, what, an hour's worth of songs? Yeah, or at least. He was playing... He just played quite a good selection of what, he, what, they, what the Beatles was. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable, but... He just got on with it. He didn't... There was no, what do you want? You know, he just sat there and played it. He was really enjoying himself. And really describe was. the atmosphere, because it, it's such an oldie-worldie pub, this, and I love this type of pub. Very, very low ceilings. The atmosphere in this pub must have been absolutely rocking. Well, it was, because the landlord, he was a Welshman, the ex-squadron leader, and he really was strict. No drinking after time. But this night, we had a lock-in. <laughs> I mean, you never paid for a drink. He, he, yeah. he bought it mm. after time. But he was a good landlord as well. Free drinks and Sir Paul McCartney yeah. in your local pub. I know. Dream come true. Doesn't happen very often. No, it certainly doesn't. Now, you've got something with you today, which I find absolutely incredible. It's um, spine-tingling, actually. It's goosebumps w- yeah. when you got this out earlier on. You've got something in your wallet which reminds you of that night, and you would never, ever sell this. Tell yeah. us what you've got. It's a 10-shilling note. 
with my daughter's name on it and Paul McCartney wishing her all the best. And on the other side is Peter Asher wishing my son all the best, John. And that's it. I wouldn't sell it. It's my daughter's anyway when I die, so... And I don't think she'd sell it anyway. John, it's an absolutely incredible story. Thank you so much for your time. And let's have a final word from the regulars here at the Oakley Arms in Harold. Sorry, that sing along thing did make me laugh. It's one of those things. It is a great singer. I know McCartney got a lot of stick at the Olympics. Uh, but it is a great sing-along song. But when it's, when it's people in a pub singing, it does sound a bit ropey. What a fantastic story. I think we should put that out as an audio boo, because that's a, that's a great bit. I love stuff like that. And well done, Justin Dilly. I think a, a, a pat on the back to Justin, because he's gone around collecting so many stories and meeting so many people uh, for Beatles Day today. By the way... Want to win something? Full terms and conditions can be found on our website, bbc.co.uk, three counties. Uh, we've got a guest coming in in the last 20 minutes of the show. I have to apologise in advance. The studio now stinks of pickled eggs. Gareth did as he was instructed, and he brought not one, but two pickled eggs. And I, sh- I, I'm, I won't eat them on air, don't worry, but it does mean... <laughs> apologies to Roberto, he'll be in later on. That, that smell ain't going to have gone by the time he comes and does his, uh, his thing. Uh, on Facebook... Uh, my uncle was John Lennon, says Chris Lennon. <gasps> but it wasn't that John Lennon. Oh, that's a tenuous link. And Beatles link... <laughs> oh, come... Now, now we really are stretching things, Barry. Beatles link. I use a zebra crossing that looks just like the one at Abbey Road. Come on, now. That's too tenuous. We don't need that. Um, don't forget... Oh, we're, talk- we're talking about Bonds. The first Bond, the best Bond. Best Bond, Roger Moore. Come on, Sean Connery is so dull. He's second worst. Um, he's, he's just above Dalton. Uh, Andy and Watford says, don't forget David Niven was the original Bond in Casino Royale. He wasn't the first. The first was Bob Holness, but you were very close. Peter Sellers also starred. Terry Thomas would have been a great 007. He would have been good, wasn't he? Uh, and Shirley Milton Keane says, definitely Sean Connery for me, followed hot on his heels by Roger Moore. Both of them are James Bond. The others are hard to take seriously. Daniel Craig is very good, I think. For me, it's Moore, then it's Craig, Lazenby, Brosnan, uh, Connery and Dalton, in, in uh, that order. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Now, you may use Luton Airport fairly frequently to jet off on your holidays, or perhaps you live within the flight path. Well, there's now a suggestion there should be four runways. The Policy Exchange Think Tank, which has come up with the idea, says the airport should be moved and built on the Grade 1 listed building Luton Who. Neil O'Brien, director of the Think Tank Policy Exchange, told me earlier why Luton was an ideal. The second best option, we think, would probably be Luton. And the reason for that is that it's got much better connections to the rest of the country than any of the other uh, airport options. Um, compared to somewhere like Stansted, for example, it's just much easier to get to. You're close to the M1, you're close to uh, good train links into London and then into the rest of the country as well. So that's probably the second best option. But it is the second best because it's quite a hilly site, so it'd be a bit more expensive to redevelop. Well, four runways is because to, to have a proper hub airport, you need to have quite a lot of people trans- transiting through the airport. If, uh, if you have people coming into the country and then going out again, that means that a lot more long-haul flights are viable. It means that you have better services to all these um, remote countries. And, and so four runways is the kind of the modern standard. Other, other comparators uh, around the world all have kind of four runways now. Well, that's uh, Neil O'Brien from the uh, Think Tank Policy Exchange that came up with the idea 
of possibly expanding Luton to four runways. The first option uh, was sort of just west of London, a little bit past Heathrow, and the second option uh, would be the expansion of Heathrow. Well, Chris Yates is an aviation analyst. Good morning, Chris. Hello, good morning, Ian. What do you make of uh, Neil's reasons there? Well, it's kind of all pie in the sky at the moment, isn't it, I would suspect. Um, he talked about Luton's expansion being the second best option. Their uh, favourite, of course, uh, is to expand Heathrow, uh, but with the runways moved uh, somewhat to, to, to reduce noise around uh, that airport. Certainly it's the case, I think, that but we do need uh, additional uh, runway capacity in the southeast. That is uh, uh, a foregone conclusion. Uh, as to whether it should be Luton as opposed to Heathrow, my choice personally would be Heathrow. Uh, but then, uh, you know, it's all uh, up in the air at the moment until politicians make their minds up. Well, isn't that interesting you say that? Because no one is um, being bold enough, it would seem, within political circles to, to, to put their money on red or black you know no one's making a decision at the moment and that's been the case for the past 30 years that i know of mm. uh you know we've often talked about uh the need for expansion uh of uh, certainly runway capacity uh in the southeast uh we talk about it then everybody runs to the hills and it's a complete vote loser whichever way they go it is and you know over that 30 years that i just mentioned the opposition group have um, uh, established themselves and, you know, there's an awful lot of not in my backyard going on here. But Chris, it has to happen somewhere, doesn't it? Because we're falling behind, aren't we? We certainly are falling behind. Uh, you know, something like 20 million passengers a year uh, transit through Heathrow, which is our only hub airport here in the UK. Uh, that's foreigners coming in to connect on to other flights because there happens to be uh, extremely good connections from that airport. Um, and, uh, you know, quite obviously we would like to maintain that position. We would rather uh, that those people didn't go off to, uh, I don't know, Amsterdam or Frankfurt or, or such like, uh, but came through uh, the UK such, uh, such that those, uh, uh, that position is maintained. Chris, finally and very quickly, if you could, if it can't be Heathrow, does it make sense to expand Luton? I'm not sure. Uh, you know, it's uh, a nice idea. I can see the connectivity from Luton. Uh, it also means, I might add, according to this report, uh, that because of air traffic control issues, uh, one other airport, Stansted, would likely have to be closed. Thank you very much. That's Chris Yates, who is an aviation analyst. It's 8.45. It's Friday the 5th of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A Luton MP says there needs to be more employment to help stop tensions between rival groups in the town. It follows the death of Luton teenager Delaney Brown. There's a plan by a think tank to have four runways at Luton Airport, which would mean building on Luton Hoo. In sport at the Japanese Grand Prix, Milton Keane Red Bull's Mark Webber was fastest in second practice with Hertfordshire's Lewis Hamilton. The weather across beds, hearts and bucks. Rain soon dying out with brighter skies developing. Maximum temperature is 15 degrees. Coming up, how about a live performance of a Beatles cover? Yeah, on the classical guitar. Come on now, you know it's going to sound fantastic. I'm genuinely very excited about this. We'll find out exactly what's going on after this. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, all morning you've been indulging me. I've been asking for your very tenuous 
uh, Beatles link. We're celebrating 50 years since the first Beatles single was released, and I've been asking for your tenuous Beatles links. We've had some great ones, including a man who's got a Beatles plate, and uh, Scoinsy, our own political reporter, Paul Scoins, his mum made some of the hats that were worn in help. How cool is that? Uh, Aidan in Stevenage. About 15 years ago, I went to a cheap photographer in London who kept a photographic record of any famous people that dropped into his studio for a passport photo. For some reason, I was talking about the Beatles, and the photographer said, You've, oh man, you've just missed Ringo. He was sat in the chair you're in about 10 minutes ago. I didn't believe him until he showed me the passport photo that Ringo had just taken. I couldn't help thinking... I do apologise, I've just seen where this is going. I couldn't help thinking of Ringo Starr's bum on the same chair I was sat on. By the way, it was a fairly inexpensive photographer, but then again, multi-millionaire Ringo is the poorest Beatle. He's the poorest Beatle, but he's still pretty loaded, isn't he? I met Ringo once, I interviewed him, I, w- I was so excited because I love the Beatles. I was dead nervous, and I was waiting in, the, in the, uh, a room at Apple um, headquarters offices, and Ringo Starr walked in, pointed at me and went, I know you, I couldn't believe it! A Beatle. We are talking about the Beatles all morning as we celebrate 50 years since the release of Love Me Do. And what better way to celebrate with some, than with some live music? I'm joined in the studio by David Young. Good morning. Good morning. Who is a music producer from Buckinghamshire and guitarist Carlos Bonell, who's worked with Paul McCartney. Good morning, Hi Carlos. There. Hi. Um, now, uh, 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 Carlos, how did you get to work with Paul McCartney? Well, because he uh, asked me to help him on uh, work that he's writing for guitar and orchestra. Yeah. So one day I received a call... Very nice call from a very modest chap who claimed to be Paul McCartney (laughs) (laughs) on the phone. And he said, uh, would you like to help me on this? And I said, uh, yes. So hang on a second, because I love these stories. (laughs) So Paul McCartney, you you were at home one day and the phone rang, you answered it, and it was Paul McCartney. Yeah, I was just minding my own business. Actually, it was actually, funny enough, I was in a studio. Yeah. And um, the voice just said, oh, hello, this is Paul McCartney (laughs) here. I mean, what, how else do you introduce yourself? Whatever your name yeah. is, let's face it. Did you believe it? <laughs> Did you not think it was one of your mates winding you up? Or are you used to getting phone calls from rock stars? Uh, 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 the voice was pretty unmistakable but for one second i did it cross my mind i say oh come on but i i hesitated from saying those three words <laughs> uh, uh, david how did you get involved with putting beatles music together with classical music how does that work well that came from the fact that carlos and i had previously actually done a queen album oh okay so we'd done an album of queen music yeah um which we did with a symphony orchestra in south america funny enough so we'd, we'd done a queen album uh previously that's what we produced and Carlos, having been working with Paul McCartney, had, I think I'm right in saying, been inspired to do solo arrangements of, I think it was Penny Lane and Here Comes the Sun. Mm. So Carlos was playing those on gigs anyway, and it just seemed like a logical thing to do next was, Mm. let's just do a whole album of these these pieces, because they're great on classical guitar, you know. Uh, So uh, Carlos arranged uh, 15 pieces for Mm. classical guitar, and we uh, released the album uh, earlier this year. What was it like? Two questions here. First of all, for you, David, how do you produce an orchestra? Ah, well, what we did originally, the the Queen one, we actually had to take... um we had to take an orchestral arranger with us to yeah. South America, a fellow called Gary Hind. So uh, Carlos and myself and Gary went to uh, Venezuela, Barquisimeto, and uh, it was quite... It was quite an eye-opening experience, actually, because we used local local guys and engineers and stuff, yeah. and it was quite kind of 
it was like the 70s, I suppose, really, or 70s, 80s, when we had, we had an orchestra set up in the local kind of village hall, Fantastic. and there was no separation, and it was, it was quite a, quite a headache, and we had to, uh, we had to clean it up a bit when we got home, of but course. that's, that's basically what we did, so it was quite, quite hard going, but we Carlos, did it. how exciting, playing with a full orchestra, is that, is that something you do quite often? I do, yeah, because in the classical work of a child, we've yeah. got, you know, this piece. Do I need to play more? Well, you, you play as much as you want, I could, I'll shut up. That, of course, is that wonderful concerto by Joaquin Rodrigo. Yeah. And uh, I've played that so often with the orchestra. And um, so it, it's not uh, not a new situation. But yeah. the fact that Paul McCartney uh, wanted to cross that great divide between classical orchestras, you know, and, and a band and write something mm. for classical guitar and orchestra was incredibly exciting. And we've had many, many, many meetings. Mm. And uh, there's lots of material there, which is, you know, you can hear the Beatles, you can hear Paul McCartney's individual voice, you can even hear a Spanish influence, because he really does love Spanish culture as Has well. the stuff you've done with McCartney been released yet? Or is that... No. That's, it's no, that's still kind of work in progress. That's all in... in uh, that's still in hand, yeah. What's he like to work with? Is he, is he quite a, 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 a perfectionist boss? No, Carlos, don't, no, don't do it like that. <laughs> or is he a bit more laid back? This is exactly the fear everybody has, you know, <laughs> what you do a thing like that. But, you know, he was so relaxed, wow. you know, so relaxed. And he just sat next to me with his own acoustic classical yeah. guitar. And um, uh, he just sort of played a few notes. And um, sometimes um, we, we, when we get together, he's got an idea already formed in his head, which he's recorded on a battered cassette player, which Wonderful. he brings in the morning. And you can just hear the notes in the distance. He's very fond of this thing. He's mm. attached to it in some ways. Or he actually makes something up just there and then, and we sort of develop it over a few hours. What's he like as a guitarist? Is he any good? Well, because really no, we know he's a he's, he's the best bass player in the world without a shadow of a doubt. We don't really get to see him doing his, his six string chops, really. Yeah, well, it's not bloody fair. I'll tell you why. <laughs> in my mind, the language that is that he can actually, with no classical technique, he can actually play a chord, and it just sounds so beautiful. And mm. all the voicing is perfect, and he's got no technique. Can you play us a Beatles song, please? Oh, I can play something. I don't know whether you recognise this. OK, go on. Because we'll just play three notes of their Uncle Earth Concerto. If I play three notes of this, do you recognise this? And then I'll go on. Let's oh, do that again. Oh, carry on, sir, please. <laughs> Wonderful. Do you recognise it? Yeah, it's, it's uh, I Am The Walrus, of course, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fantastic. That's amazing. How long does it take you to arrange a song, a Beatles song, yeah. like that for classical guitar? Well, this album is interesting. Some of the pieces came pretty quite quickly. That one was what didn't take very long. Mm. But um, uh, I, I, some of them I just did about, you know, 20, 30 different versions of the same thing. Mm. I'll tell you why, because... There's no point doing something which sounds exactly like the song. Yeah. You think, I might as well hear the song then. So it's going to be something which takes you somewhere else with that same song. Mm. That's what I always felt with these songs. Some of them had to do something slightly unexpected with the song. So I imagined to myself, imagine I, I had been the Beatles, but I hadn't been able to sing. How would I have That's done a great way of this looking for at the guitar? Yeah. Put myself in that mentality. What would I have done with these songs on the guitar mm. instead of us guitar solos and not songs? David, you're a guitarist as well. You play. You play in the Queen musical. I do. Yes, do we you? were rocky. Yeah. How come you got this connection with Queen? Are you. I just like them. <laughs> 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 is this good enough? Uh, well, um, 
Yeah, I, I, it's not my main gig in We Will Rock You. I mean, mm. it's a couple of other guys. Alan Darby's a guy that I, I cover for. So right. basically, when he has a day off, I'm in once or twice a week. Yeah. So I do play that quite a bit. But funnily enough, the We Will Rock You thing came out of me doing the Queen album with Carlos, not the other way okay. around. So it's uh, one of those bizarre things, really. I'm not a massive Queen fan. I respect That's what fine. they've done. But, uh, but I, I filmed last year a documentary about Vox amps. Mm-hmm. And one of the coolest things, I got to go to Brian May's garage, where he's got about 50... Vox Am. I've seen that, yes. Yeah. And I'm stood next to Brian May, and he's, uh, you know, w- 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 he's a legend, whatever. I'm literally this close to him, and he's playing bits on his guitar. And I said, Oh, what happens if you change the pickups? He said, Oh, if I flick that and get these two pickups on, this is the sound, this is the guitar sound from Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. And I was stood next to him, and he's playing the guitar solo from Beh- Bohemian Rhapsody. And even I, if you see it on the screen, I become a 15 year old boy because <laughs> this ridiculous grin on my face. And yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And what a nice bloke he is as well. Very nice guy he's extremely good uh the beatles have you uh, uh, why the beatles why why did this project come about well again just because we, we, with carlos having worked with paul mccartney mm. and just because he'd done i mean carlos uh, there's a kind of wider background to this i think in some ways which is uh both of us in a way but through carlos's great guitar playing obviously mm. trying to kind of get because cla- i also play classical guitar right unfortunately not nearly as well as <laughs> he's not carlos, bad is he carlos does, you know, he's all right but you know have a go and um it would be nice to get it out a bit more of the kind of um, kind of cliquey classical guitar kind of world, you know, yep. and a bit more into the mainstream. So um, the Queen album was kind of the first step with that, really. Carlos having then worked with uh, Paul McCartney, having arranged a couple of pieces for uh, a couple of Beatles pieces anyway to play in, mm-hmm. in Carlos's concerts, which would typically be classical music concerts. But those pieces were going down very well i believe so i thought well the audience seemed to be up for it even though they're a, a classical audience so let's just you know do more pieces play more pieces live and now carlos is gigging playing queen tunes beatles tunes and the classical guitar well, g- give us a well. quick plug for the album what's the beatles album called the beatles album is called magical mystery guitar tour I like, like it. See? Yeah. Carlos Bernal is the name. Carlos, we've got a minute. Can oh, you, we've got a minute. Can, okay, here can we you go. play us something? You take as long as you want, because if we go on, on air, off air, I'm staying and listening to you. This oh, is wonderful. Would you mind if I very briefly said Carlos is playing in Cambridge, Oxford, and Marlow in November? No, I would not mind in the slightest. So if you don't mind that, I'll just say Carlos is playing <laughs> in Cambridge, <laughs> uh, where else? Marlow and Oxford, Fantastic. amongst others, in November, all on his website, carlosbernal.com. Carlos, give us what you've got, sir. Here is a number from George Harris, and the other Beatle, we haven't even mentioned his name yet. Not not fair, is it? Not fair. And here is, he wrote some great stuff. And here's a piece he called Here Comes the Sun. Oh, man, fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, David Young, Carlos Bonnell, thank you so much. That was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Oh, I could listen all day. We're a little bit late, but I don't mind. I don't apologise. Let's get the travel news now. Sophie Tyler.